Well, for one, there was a certain rival wrestling organization that uh, all I could say is they made me a great offer and they dealt with me with integrity and nothing but an honorable fashion and I can't say anything bad about anything that they uh, and how they represented themselves or me. I've decided to accept the challenge of the best wrestler in the WWF today and in the Survivor Series I will face Stone Cold Steve Austin I'm willing to accept whatever happens in that match you know and if I come up short that I'm just going to get right back up on my horse like a gunfighter and, uh, you know... Well, see, here's, a, no, here's the deal. Shut up. Here's the deal. Win, lose, draw, Brett. It ain't over. What it ain't over. Me? You're what never going to get through with Stone Cold Steve Austin. You're going to have to kill me first, son, and that's the bottom line, and it's the truth. Win, lose, or draw, right. I will always be on your ass. Well, that's why I'm the excellence of execution. Yeah, yeah, whatever. You wear a hood while you get assassinated. Or... Uh-huh. I'm the best there is, I'm the best there was, and I'm the best there ever will be, and you're going to find that out firsthand, son. Say something. Uh, you know, you know, everyone thinks that because I'm coming back that I have this built-up impression in my head that I'm going to clean up the WWF. I, I know better than anyone else that it's going to be a real All hard right. job. And, right. Uh, we thank you so much for joining us. We're it's running Austin's out of time. house now. All right, thank you very much for joining us. Brett the Hitman. No, Hawk, no, 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 no. You can tell him to go kiss off, but I've been here all night, and I ain't leaving yet. And you Shut can up, stop please. counting me down because I done told you once, son. Please, we got a damn problem. Oh, hey, 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 wait a minute. No more. That's, that ain't going to work. It's a production assistant. No, we ain't through that by a long shot. Hello, my name is Bob Bamber and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast going back in the time machine to October of 1996, Volume 2 of this month's show. Volume 1 takes us to WCW and Halloween Havoc. Volume 3 takes us to ECW. We're looking at two shows on the ECW side, but we're here for Volume number 2, looking at In Your House, Buried Alive. I've been joined firstly by Eric Lanston. Eric, hello. Bob, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you. And Rory McNamara. Howdy, guys. Uh, Rory, kicks off with the news. I shall indeed. Bret Hart signed a 20-year contract with the WWF this month, bringing to an end speculation where his future may lie. He essentially did a shoot promo on Raw on October the 21st, saying that he had received a very tempting offer from a rival wrestling organisation. The offer was said to be so good, WCW were convinced Bret couldn't turn it down. It would have made him the second highest earner in the company, along with opening up a lot of acting options. Brett will be facing Steve Austin at Survivor Series next month, a feud that kicked into gear on Raw the following week. One provision that Brett allegedly signed into the deal was that he would get a pinfall over Hulk Hogan should he return, which now won't happen as Hogan has signed a three-year deal with WCW. 
It's also said that Brett asked for a reasonable level of creative control, or at least the ability to veto things he didn't like. The numbers vary wildly, but it's said WCW offered in the region of 3 to $4 million per year, with the WWF deal likely worth between 11 to $14 million over the lifetime of the contract, with him moving to a backstage role after he retires. On pay-per-view, it took interference from a masked Terry Gordy to ensure that mankind buried The Undertaker alive. After the match, a series of heels came out to help fill in the gravesite, before the show closed with Undertaker reaching through the dirt to show he was still with us. Sid defeated Vader to earn the shot at Shawn Michaels for the WWF title at Survivor Series. And there were wins for Stone Cold Steve Austin, Mark Mero, and Owen Hart and the British Bulldog. After a bad month in the ratings, Raw will be moving forward an hour, or specifically to 7.57pm to get a jump on Nitro. Mr. Perfect was scheduled to return to in-ring action on October 21st, but it seems like things couldn't be worked out. He has an insurance policy which is apparently still active, so Perfect had Mark Merrow sub in for him against Hunter Hearst Helmsley before turning on Merrow as Helmsley won the Intercontinental title. Vader and Farouk both had plans changed, at least partially due to injury. Vader worked the pay-per-view with a broken foot, and Farouk missed it with a hamstring injury. A fans of ECW will be interested to know that Two Cold Scorpio and the team of Doug Furness and Dan Crawford are WWF bound. Scorpio actually debuted at the latest set of tapings under the name Flash Funk. And it's said while they've had discussions with UFC fighter Ken Shamrock, his money demands are too high. And just to quickly remind people that should you wish to, we are now on Patreon. Uh, we For five bucks a month, we're offering people access to shows like this before they go out uh, to everyone else. Or if you'd just like to say thank you for us enlightening your lives with, you know, the ups and the downs and the downs of wrestling in the <laughs> mid-90s, uh, you can find out more about that at patreon.com forward slash wrestling20rs on our website. All the link is in the description. And now on to the ratings for the month, as we say. Not very good if you're Vince McMahon. October 7th, Nitro won with a 3.5 to a 2.1. October the 14th, Nitro won 3.3 to 1.8. That Both of those shows were up against a San Francisco 49ers against Green Bay game that did an 18.9 just to give you a bit of an idea of uh, what NFL can do at this time of the year. October the 21st, with the hype return of Bret Hart coming off the pay-per-view, also did a 2.6. That still wasn't enough as Nitro did a 3.2. And a week later, as great as the October 28th Raw was, Nitro did a 3.6, and Raw only managed a 2.4. Familiar? That's the real Double J, Jesse James, being reunited with his real collaborator, Jim Johnston. They're the duo who should have received credit for the hit song, With My Baby Tonight. By now, you've seen and heard the proof that Jeff Jarrett's claims to have sung With My Baby Tonight were a lie. Not only was he lip-syncing that night, but Jarrett's entire musical career was a hoax. Maybe it's true, it's 
been almost 15 months since Jarrett slithered away from the spotlight in shame. But the questions as to what went on behind the scenes that night in Nashville have just begun. For over a year, World Wrestling Federation officials have been trying to get to the bottom of this scandal. Thus far, Jeff Jarrett has refused comment. But now, after 15 months, the real Double J has finally come forward. We're here. <laughs> Working again. Yeah. Yeah, they sure did call me. And they asked me, hey, you know, uh, we're not quite sure what to think about all this. They wanted the story, you know, as well as everybody did. What, what happened? What's going on here? They wanted the story, and they wanted to know if, if I was still loyal to Jeff or if I was still, you know, good friends with Jeff. Well, I don't hate Jeff Jarrett. I don't. He took me... He took me further than I had gotten, but I took him further than he'll ever be. And that's the truth. He, he's not he, the world's greatest entertainer. <laughs> he's, he's not even close to being a good entertainer. He can't dance. He can't sing. And like I said, that's not me being cocky. That's me being honest. He cannot do these things. And that's, that's not, that's not, uh, that's not saying that I can, but I think I can. God gives people talent. You know, you don't just, you don't just run out at the blue light special and buy a voice and buy rhythm. You don't just do that. So how did Double J Jeff Jarrett feel after his so-called live performance that night? Oh, he felt great. He was on top of the world. We hadn't uh, yet gotten into the ring against Shawn Michaels. He had just, this was the tip, I mean, this was the beginning of the, of the end, actually, but it was the beginning of his perfect night. A victory over Shawn Michaels was supposed to cap off Jeff Jarrett's so-called perfect night. You watch. He signals to me the foot. Pull the foot. Well, we've done it a bazillion times. We beat everybody by doing everything. Double team because he couldn't do it by himself. Signals to me the foot. Well, I got it. I got it. I'm cool with that. So here he comes to shoot Sean in. Well, Sean reverses it and shoots him in. I pull his foot. Well, okay, I'll take a little bit of the heat because I wasn't paying attention to the match. And so, boom, down goes Jeff Jarrett. He gets up. Sean plays a little chin music. How apropos for Jeff playing a little Millie Vanilli music earlier. One, two, three. You don't, nobody gets up from the super kick. Next week, Jesse James will tell us exactly what went on behind the scenes when Jeff Jarrett ran from the impending scandal. But Jeff Jarrett, you want to come back? The real Double J's got a job for you. Sure. Together again, you want to drive my Lincoln Town car? You want to tote my bags <laughs> through the airport? Come on, Jeff. Let's do it. Road dog. <laughs> we start with Mark Merrow versus Diesel on the October the 7th Raw. Diesel comes out with Jim Ross to no reaction whatsoever. The match isn't really any better either. Ross says he simply tried to create a more competitive environment. We get a picture in picture of Razor Ramon who does a really bad impersonation of Scott Hall. Razor ends up getting in the ring and forcing the DQ. Diesel hits a jackknife powerbomb onto Mero, and that's the end of that. We cut to The Undertaker, who has apparently been digging a grave since this time last week. Well, to be fair, he's now waist-deep anyway. It's also that time of year again. You can spend 49 bucks for a hideous denim jacket of either Brett, Sean, or Undertaker. Tellingly, last year I think there was three people and Diesel, and they haven't created a babyface worthy enough to fill the spot in the 12 months since. Sunny phones in during a match between the Smoking Guns and the New Rockers. She's basically there to shield WWF Livewire. We hear quite a sizable NWO chant from the crowd and a wide shot showing some signs in the crowd also. Matches as flat as anything and the Guns win. 
We get a studio segment with Jesse James and another double J, Jim Johnston, playing an acoustic version of With My Baby Tonight. We see Jarrett, who's probably appearing on Nitro right as this is airing. James throws Jarrett's entertaining ability under the bus. This one will continue next week. We get an in-ring segment with Ross, Vader and Cornette. Cornette thanks JR for helping Vader with something, we don't, we don't quite know what. Cornette, and he has a point, questions why Vader has to go through Sid to get a rematch with Michaels. After this, just imagine your usual Cornette promo. Bob Backlund is out on commentary for the match with the Sultan and Alto Montoya. He's wearing dark sunglasses and he says the WWF have made him wear them so he can't scrutinise them anymore. You look really closely, the Sultan is the former Fatu, who wins with a camel clutch. We get a great panicky promo from Mankind, who trips into the grave but calms down when Bearer gives him the urn, which he clutches. Shawn Michaels phones in during the main event between Sid and Goldust. This starts out with about five minutes left to go in the show. Out comes Jim Cornette. Sid powerbombs Goldust for the win, then out comes Vader. Vader hits a splash on the second rope, Sid no-sells it and hits a chokeslam. We move on to October the 14th with Vader's tune-up match ahead of the pay-per-view against Phineas I. Godwin. Sid has had enough, clearly. He walks out and mouths off at Vader, the distraction giving Phineas the chance to run Vader over, but Vader wins the squash anyway. Mr. Perfect cuts an in-ring promo. He's going to be back in in-ring action next week. Jake Roberts comes out goaded by Lawler. He looks in a bad way. We quickly work out that Roberts is actually faking it, but he's putting it on for Lawler. Lawler walks straight into the DDT, and that'll end that. The match is shot with a backdrop of a lot of empty seats. Roberts pours whiskey onto Lawler before choking him with the snake. We get more comments from Jesse James. He says Jarrett told him he was leaving and he could either stay or leave. They're touting the release of With My Baby Tonight along with what sounds like even more songs that he's going to be releasing. Hunter Hurst Helmsley faces off against Freddy Joe Floyd. Hunter gets distracted by Mr. Perfect who's gone after his woman. Perfect levels him then takes off with her. Seeing all of this, the ref calls for a count out rather than a DQ on the R way. We get another promo from Mankind. The content isn't all that but the visuals here are great. Mankind are bearer by a dark and wet gravesite. Sonny says there's been an amicable, amicable split between her and Farouk. She's out on commentary for his match with Alex the Pug Porto. Jim Ross quite rightly calls out Farouk's awful headgear, although that's more of another shot against Vince McMahon. We get a clip between Ahmed Johnson and Farouk from Livewire with Farouk by the phone. This is really good. Intense. Do more of this, please. Another promo, this one from Undertaker by the Gravesite. The rain has stopped. This is really good. If it takes destroying the Undertaker to destroy mankind, then that's what I'll do. Add a bit of mood music and this is great. Try to imagine what it will be like to never rest in peace. We finish with a shot from inside the pit with Undertaker shoveling in dirt. Sid cuts the picture in picture during the main event between Steve Austin and Shawn Michaels. The match isn't long enough to be anything of note, although both guys show flashes that this match could be good if given more time. We come back from commercial, out comes Vader. Michaels manages to vault off of the top and dive right into his interference. But after that, Michaels has to fight off both of them. Particularly as Savio Vega runs out and then eats a stunner. Sid comes out, runs off Vader. Razor and Diesel then stand by the entranceway. Austin whips it into Michael, so those two square off. It's all happening here. Diesel and Razor bugger off. We finish with Sid and Sean making up and seeing off Austin and Vader. The rains have now stopped. But it's only the quiet. 
before the real storm. Buried alive. Who could have thought that it would come to this? Each time you escape the clutches of these purple fists, you grew stronger, yet more evil. So you see, you've left me with no choice. I must now be your judge, your jury, and your executioner. If it takes destroying the Undertaker to destroy you, mankind, well then that's what I will do. You must be extinguished. Why don't you try and imagine what those last few breaths of air will taste like? Try and imagine what it would be like. Try to claw your way out of a bottomless pit. Try to imagine what it will be like to never rest in peace. This is the final thing you will ever see. We come straight into the pay-per-view. Rory, he's off with the results. Here they are. Uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin defeated Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Uh, Owen Hart and the British Bulldog defeated the Smoking Guns to retain the WWF Tag Team Championship. Mark Merrow defeated Goldust to retain the Intercontinental Championship. Psycho Sid defeated Vader to become the number one contender for the WWF Championship. And in our main event, The Undertaker defeated Mankind in a Buried Alive match. Eric, first show with us, what do you think? Uh, you know, I was reviewing the Torch and the Observer from, from this month, and I'm not sure which one uh, put it in there, but I thought it was a perfect summation of this show, which was that this was a an excellent house show with an interesting gimmick match uh, at the end. Um, nothing particularly wrong with the show, but, but boy, were there periods where it was just tough to pay attention. Rory? Uh, I went into this one with uh, great trepidation because... um. It was an in-your-house show. In fact, if you want to broaden it out, it was a WWF pay-per-view. And uh, 1996, they haven't hit many home runs. And whilst this was far from uh, far from perfect, it was a perfectly, for me, acceptable two-hour uh, wrestling watch. There were decent to good matches uh, up and down the card. Uh, clean finishes, if you include the main event, so having, having a clean finish. Uh, <laughs> every, everyone worked hard. There were a couple of interesting uh, plot points. A uh, bit of storyline advancement. So, taken in its own, taken in its own right, this is a acceptable two hours watching of wrestling. If you go in with reasonably low expectations, but no Shawn Michaels, come on. Yeah, I'm just trying. I'm just digging through my list of uh, list my previous. In your house reviews, I'm just trying to find if of the 11 in your house shows we ever covered, if any of them haven't featured either Shawn Michaels or Bret Hart, because I believe this is the first. Uh, let's just check. So we had Bret and Diesel in February. Uh, December, we had Bret and Bulldog. Did we have either one in October? 
Ah, there we go. Oh, God, in your house four. That, that there was Sean just handing over the belt, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that was also that was also Brett coming out for commentary in a pay per view in Canada instead of actually yeah. wrestling too. Yeah, yeah. both both <laughs> of the guys both of the guys were in the building. Brett wrestled the dark match later on, um, but yeah, very very telling that the one in your house show up until this stage that didn't include a uh, sorry the one in your house uh, to this point that was really really bad didn't include Brett Hart or Shawn Michaels. This was the second. And it was nowhere near as bad as that show. You will be pleased to know. Um, but yeah, it was just a very average show, wasn't it? And I, I, I would agree. You know, kind of like the buried, uh, kind of like the um, boiler room brawl. It's like, well, it's memorable, but I don't necessarily know that it's good. Um, and that was the main event, and the rest just was what it was. And you're like. Boy, this, these guys need Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels back. Something, something fierce. But anyway, we start with a real nice video mashup of The Undertaker and Mankind. We get an awkward moment between the three announcers, uh, Ross, King, and Vincent Mann, as Ross has mic issues, as he will do for the next two matches. We open up with Hunter Hearst Helmsley and, well, just another lady, versus uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin. We get a pro from Austin preview not only this match but also the Brett one. Austin says those who have a problem with his language can kiss his ass. They lock up with Ross still having mic issues. Austin drops to the outside to jaw jack with a fan, as does Helmsley. Both of these guys are heels, which makes this a little bit of an odd pairing. Ross says he can happily tell the fans he is responsible for Bret Hart returning to, more tomorrow, returning to Raw tomorrow. The fans chant perfect at Hunter, but that's been about it so far. They exchange slaps. Hunter begs off and seeks the quiet of the outside. Hunter charges Austin in the corner. Austin gets a leg up on, uh, then clotheslines in before we go back to a rest hold. Austin gets whipped into the corner and Helsley follows that with a backdrop and a suplex. It's quite unfortunate, but for the entire show uh, in the building that we're in, immediately opposite a hard camera is an aisleway dividing two sections of floor seats, aisleway and a stair- stairwell section. And all you can see is the back of a security woman. So, well, there we go. The match threatens to get going, but we get an exchange of sleeper attempts, which Austin counters with a sit-out neckbreaker. That was weird, as it was basically a stunner, and Hunter kicked out. There we go. Austin hits a stun gun, then an elbow from the second for a two. Hunter drops a forearm from the second rope for a two, and we then get a double clothesline. Out comes Mr. Perfect, and we actually get a crowd reaction for the first time this evening. Halsey confronts Perfect on the outside. Perfect again goes after his woman, and Austin takes advantage of the distraction. Austin George acts with Perfect. Perfect pulls his trunks. Austin seems to apologise, but it's a ruse to throw water at Perfect, who whips his jacket off, but otherwise walks off with Hunter's lady. Hunter sets for the pedigree, but seeing his lady being walked up the R-way, uh, walks away, so he runs up the R-way after her. Austin follows them all, attempts a suplex on the apron, uh, or near the apron, and Hunter counters it with a suplex on the concrete floor. Hunter sets for a pedigree on the floor. Austin counters it and hits a catapult, sending Hunter into the ring post. Austin goes for a running leg drop with Hunter draped in the ropes. Hunter moves, but Austin bounces off, says fuck you to the fans, flips the flips the bird at Hunter, hits a stunner, looks identical to his neck break from earlier, but that was enough to win the match. Eric. Well, there's two there's two things going on here, Bob. First of all, a match between two guys who I think that the Fed is trying to to push uh, as ham-handedly maybe as, as as they are sometimes with that. 
And this was actually a pretty good match. You know, Austin especially, there were some subtle psychology things that he started to work into his repertoire. You know, he's done, he started doing Brett's second rope elbow drop, or at least it's it's become apparent that he started doing that since he started calling Brett out, and I think that's fantastic. You know, he's got new music. It's clear that they're trying to position him for something, at least get him uh, presented as respectable for an opponent for Brett coming up. Um you know, and, and Hunter is, is good too. But boy, there's just two things about this match that had really little to do with the match. Um, one more than the other. First of all, the, the dang JR storyline just taking over the entire match. You know, commentator storylines for me personally, when they take over the action in the ring and distract from it, it's so, it's so distracting. And JR, you know, I don't know what the end game for this JR event stuff is, but if they're going to use that, in lieu of, you know, promoting and highlighting these two guys that I think that they've got future plans for, that's troublesome to me. And also, you know, we haven't talked about the Raws yet, but Mr. Perfect, hey, this was his first time on this show, but it was certainly not his first time making an appearance. And, you know, between Perfect and JR, it's really unfortunate that this took away from what was actually a pretty good match that was designed to make both of these guys, both heels, look pretty strong, I think, other than, Hunter being an idiot at the end and not just pinning Austin uh, before he went out to to retrieve his his valet. So, you know, as far as the match goes, good match. Uh, I think these guys have pretty good chemistry. I think Austin especially looks like somebody who's on the rise. But I wish the Fed would just realize that, you know, this commentator storyline uh, is 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 better placed uh, between matches than during. Yeah, I, I think it's worth. Kind of just reminding people, and we'll fill in the Brett stuff you know, later in the show. Um, although, in all honesty, actually, most of the Brett, more interesting Brett stuff will have covered in Volume 1, because um, a lot of the more interesting stuff actually pertains to what WCW did for that. We'll cover that there, but I think it's worth saying that this is really the first bit where we've seen of Austin, where he, he would have known for certain that he was facing Brett Hart the following month, because up until this point... To an extent, Brett's been arm in an iron and they've, been, they've kind of set this thing up with the kind of hope and they, they, they ran an angle on superstars, funny enough, with Austin and Perfect with the idea that, um, if Brett didn't resign, they would at least have something for Austin at, uh, Survivor Series, obviously in the event that, uh, in the event that Perfect would have been able to wrestle. Um, but when you put that into it and you think, okay, Austin's gonna be a, you know, against Bret Hart, probably in the, the co-main event of the show, maybe not second to last, but in the second biggest match on the show, if not the biggest, we'll discuss that later on as well, next month. If you're going to do the Ross angle, don't do this match here. Um, that would that would have been my big takeaway. If you're going to do the Ross thing, and the Ross thing I don't actually think necessarily was that big of a problem on its own, but it did take away from a match where you're trying to shine and you're trying to showcase the guy that, other than King of the Ring, you have not really showcased at all. And the first half of the match was all about, you know, was all about Jim Ross. And my other thought was, well, we say all that, we're talking about putting some shine on Austin, and he's up against the heel which I also found a bit strange. Roy? Yeah, I was just thinking about this, actually. I'm pretty sure, off the top of my head, this is the first time uh, a WWF, or perhaps any uh, major organisation, pay-per-view was kicked off with a heel-v-heel match. I, I was rifling back through the record books earlier. I certainly couldn't find uh, any other occasion that actually happened. So that was very interesting. 
Um, if, if, if you do think of one, uh, uh, let me know. But uh, the match was a, a it was basically supposed to be. I agree with I agree with you guys. I think it was probably intended to be um, uh, a, a coming out party for Austin to some degree. Because I think at this stage they were pretty certain that Brett was going to re-sign. It was obviously confirmed uh, the day after. Um, they say putting him in there with another heel. Mm, okay, it's, it's a it's a ballsy decision, but I'm not sure it's one I would necessarily have made. I'd have put him in there with um, a lower mid-card face and had that match maybe in the middle of the card and had him win pretty decisively in about five or six minutes. Absolutely. As it was, as it was this match was okay. I think it was a bit long for what um, Helmsley had to offer. I'm still not sold on him in the ring uh, at all yet. He's, uh, let's call him laborious to be charitable. I don't really trust him to hold a match together. I can see that Austin, during a lot of the uh, in-ring segments when there was no distraction going on, he was trying to be the glue and he just about managed it. Um, but obviously high on Helmsley, but I still, still think he needs a lot of work. Uh, Austin going over cleanly was uh, absolutely the right thing. Oh, just one, one quick thing as well. Uh, the JR stuff, I don't mind them doing it, but they drew too much. It carried on throughout this match and into the next match as well. Say he's having microphone problems just for, say, I don't know, the first minute, minute, minute and a half of the match. So you're paying attention to that storyline, whatever that storyline is. Uh, you're giving a bit of a nod and a wink to the smart fans who know about JR's real-life backstage promotion and leave it at that. It went, it went too far. But in the end, uh, a solid opener, which, although it took a while to get there, did what it meant to, had a Accomplish its goal just or start the show. You know, I think didn't Hawk Bradshaw wrestle on the on the the you know, in a dark match beforehand or something like that? Start the mat, the show with you know somebody who you know maybe a match that isn't designed to get the crowd riled up necessarily, but could get this JR storyline going. Start it with a four or five minute match between you know two people who the you know we don't necessarily doesn't necessarily matter and then have Austin and Helmsley second and get the JR stuff out of the way early just what you're saying Rory yeah I mean you know it's not like this you know this was a two-hour show but there's only five matches on it it's not like you couldn't have even just put another one in there I mean they they might they might well have said to themselves in terms of the grander scheme of five matches we had a tag title match, an intercontinental title match, effectively a number one, well, effectively a number one contenders match, and then the main event. They probably said to themselves, "This is the least significant of the five matches." So it's like, fine, just add a sixth in, you know, just any Savio Vega match would have been perfect for this spot. <laughs> and and in, instead, we just ended up with, you know, it's like the the guy you're trying to showcase in in a in the ring with a guy who's. Not really a babyface, but it's not really a heel either. It's an interesting note that apparently Austin was working some babyface stuff um, on a house show loop at some point this month. I think while he was filling in, that's that might be of note for what could come in the next couple of months. Um, or they may have just been experimenting because they were short on one side, and you know Austin's new persona, as much as he's going to get over as a heel, you know, it, it, it's not that unfeasible that you could tweak up things and making this just kind of badass man of the people. Um, but yeah, like yeah, the match was fine. Um, it did take a while to get going, but the final three or four minutes were pretty good. Um, if I'm Steve Austin, don't do that neck breaker thing. Don't do anything that looks like your finisher. Um, you know, find something else for that. That was a, a thing that came out. I agree with Hel- I agree about Helmsley though. He's not quite there yet. Um, apparently he's been having some real issues with his promos. That was interesting. I know we mentioned that last month. 
um, but just very, very basic problems with being able to deliver more than a few lines. You're going to have to need to work on that as well. Um, but yeah, a fine match, but I would agree. If you're going to put, if you're going to do the Ross thing, I don't, you know, the, the Roy DeCortez storylines ever really work? No, they don't. I don't, I don't think people tune in to watch wrestling for commentator storylines, do they? They, they care about the, uh, they care about the wrestlers in the in-ring action. The commentators are there to bring that over to us. We don't need commentator storylines. We really, really don't. No. Go on, go on, Eric. Hey, Bob, can I get another quick word in on, on, on Austin? You were talking about him and not doing that neck breaker. The other thing that I noticed, and this is a very finite criticism of Austin because he's still clearly finding his, his character and his rhythm, but you know he's so quick in transition. He's so good at kind of that chain wrestling style, which served him very well when he was you know, in WCW and, and as the ringmaster. But, you know, it's almost uh, it's almost amazing that he's such a good wrestler that that doesn't fit this new personality, this new style that he's cultivating. You know, I don't want to see a guy who's supposed to be, we'll see on Raw down the road this month, you know, a guy who's supposed to be this badass dude doing chain wrestling and doing these long, you know, extended holds. You know, I want to see him, you know, trying to kick somebody's butt. And, and so I think that's something for him to tweak um, – down the road, you know, get away from the chain wrestling perhaps and and get get more of a, a of an aggressive wrestling style. I think we'll come to that more when we uh, discuss Austin later in the show. Anyway, we move on. Uh, apparently the Smoking Guns are attempting to win the tag titles for the fourth time tonight, heaven forbid. Billy Gunn seems more preoccupied with winning the title for himself so he can get Sonny back more than he does winning it with Bart. Again, not sure I can really blame him. Next up, it's the Smoking Guns, Billy and Bart versus Own Hart and the British Bulldog with Clarence Mason for the WWF Tag Team titles. Own has cut his hair. Billy's hair looks less good, but I suppose he's also had a cut, not the particularly ever haircut updates. Uh, Ross is still having mic issues. Owen and Billy start off in the ring, mainly working rest holds. Billy flips over uh, Owen over and hits a nice clothesline. Billy comes off of the top. Owen catches him with a forearm. Then Owen tags in Bulldog. Basically, he's in the ring anyway. Sonny is watching the action backstage from an odd angle. Bart catches Bulldog off of the ropes and hits, uh, hits him with a slam. Owen hits a nice drop kick off the two off the top, then hits a bridge pin for a two. Bart inadvertently knocks Billy off the apron. Owen almost picks off the three off the distraction. Distraction him. Billy hits a nice elbow drop. Owen is now the baby face in peril. I think another heel versus heel match this, I suppose. Uh, the guns do the vaulting clothesline into the corner. Bart goes for a sidewalk slam, but Owen holds for uh, but holds Owen for a double team move. Billy sets to come off of the top, but Bulldog stands behind Bart and after waiting for an absolute eternity and holding on to his jeans for pretty much the entire time, pulls Bart down right as Billy jumps off of the top. Owen hits a spin wheel kick on Billy and. I'm very glad, Bob, that you do um, play-by-plays after each match. If you hadn't done that here, I would have forgotten almost everything about what happened here apart from the finish. Um, <laughs> I've just done the play-by-play and I've forgotten almost everything <laughs> that happened apart from the finish. This was just absolute blandola. There was nothing remotely bad about it, but there was nothing even approaching good about it whatsoever. Aside from the fact that we we know what, what great workers Owen and Bulldog are, this was if ever there was the definition of a match just being there, this was it. Although do do we that, know that Owen Hart and the British Bulldog are great workers? I mean, you know, there's oh I, come I, on. I, well, I mean, I know there's well, look, I know those guys are popular, but has Owen Owen Hart has had two really good matches since we started doing this show. One was with Bret Hart, and one was with Shawn Michaels. 
And the British Bulldog has had two really good matches. Actually, maybe three. There was some really good stuff with Vader as well. Um, Bulldog's had a couple of really good matches since we started the show. One was with Bret Hart and one was with Shawn Michaels. I don't know that the yardstick for a great wrestler is they can have a really good match with one of those two guys. There's a very long list of people that can do that. Like, the guns aren't that bad. And yet, these two are apparently really good. And yet, they've had two tag team matches in a row. And they've both been awful. I don't know that you can say we know they're really good workers. I don't think we've seen that yet. Carry on, Rory. I, 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 I get the point you're making, Bob, but the undoubted weakness of the WWF roster is not the fault of Owen and the Bulldog. You know? no, 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 no. I wouldn't say that. But, you know, like, they're, they're, not, they're not carrying matches. They're not carrying... If this was Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels, this match would have been far fucking better. I, uh, I agree with that, but uh, I, don't, I don't think anybody's really a miracle worker, if you know what I mean. Uh, um, they, they, they did their best in there with the the workaday workers, let's say, that uh, the smoking guns are. And it was blah, just total blah. To finish at the time, because uh, your play-by-play has nailed it, Bob, at the time I thought the finish was reasonably inventive. But after I came away, I thought, hang on, Bulldog was holding Bart's belt for absolutely bloody ages. Oh, about you ten know, seconds, thought, wasn't it? Yeah. Okay, what, what is he actually planning on doing here? You know, I was watching it second time around. And it was something for us to talk about. It made sure that the guns didn't get the belts, which was my fear. Um, Owen and Bulldog keep them. I think the smoking guns are now going to split up, and I know we're all really looking forward to that one. So, yes, just the ultimate five out of ten middle-of-the-road match with nothing really going for or against it. Ugh. Eric? Yeah, I think I think we're right. You know, the smoking guns explode, you know, main event of WrestleMania <laughs> 13 or, or what have you. No, you know... Don't give them ideas now. Bob, again, I, your point is well taken. I understand. Uh, and, and, and maybe this goes to, you know, prove your point in that, you know, when Owen was teaming with Yoko last year, I thought the WrestleMania 11 match was fantastic. You know, maybe more of a psychology than a work rate standpoint, and then they but, had a but follow-up. But Yokozuna's really good. Let's not right. let's not forget that. Right, it's, exactly. And so I think there's just something off here. And, and you know, I, the guns haven't been good in a while. You know, they're a charisma black hole, if you will. And um, I think that's being unfair to black holes, isn't it? <laughs> but... You know, and it bothers me because Billy at least should be good. You know, Billy's got all the tools. He's he's physically gifted. Um, I think if he had a, a managed, you know, a decent talking piece, he might be okay. He might be a solid mid card intercontinental challenger. Bart is just not good. Um, but I agree. You know, the other thing I want to say is is Owen. As we move forward, Owen is my favorite. You know, wrestler. Uh, in in the company, and it's hard for me to, to to recognize that sometimes he you know he's not able to you know bring other people up as I think he's expected to um, as he has in the past. To the ending, Bulldog is huge. How did how did Billy not see Bulldog you know <laughs> back there? Bulldog's the biggest guy in the match, you know, not height wise, but probably by forty pounds on any of the other guys. You know, it, it just. The ending was it was 40 clever. Forty pounds on each leg, I think. Right. But. It was clever. It was interesting. But boy, it really required you more than normal to suspend disbelief, you know, for a wrestling finish. So I, I completely agree with Rory. 
standard 5 out of 10 match. This would have been better suited as a Raw opener or main event. And time for these teams to move apart from one another because it's not working. Yeah, you know, in terms of the road agents that put the finish together, it wasn't actually that bad an idea in that 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 is the, the, the gun's move. And the idea of Bulldog, you know, sneaking up behind Bart made sense. But the minute they missigned it, the, the whole thing fucked up. It was like um, whenever Undertaker came through the ring in that Brett match, or whenever that was, uh, or was it Diesel? I can't remember who it was. But there was the someone was coming through the ring, and someone went for a pin, and you could tell that the ref kind of stalled for a few seconds. And it's like the minute you do that, you completely blow your cover, and then it doesn't was, work. You've got to time these kind of things for them to work. Sorry, Eric. Was that Rumble '96? So, yeah, yeah, I think so, because the other one was a cage, and there wouldn't have been a pinfall in that one. Um, so, yeah, it was probably... Did, Roy, does that sound right, Diesel coming through the ring at Rumble 96? Does that sound uh, about right? Uh, Diesel came uh, Diesel came to the ring at uh, Royal Rumble 96. Uh, the, that was the Undertaker-Brett match, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'll happen to made sure that he made the count in the very corner of the ring, which he didn't even need to go to, just in the place <laughs> Diesel would appear to, to, to pull him out. It's... Funny, this isn't it, really? Yeah, because yeah. Um, but yeah, basically, if you're going to do finishes like that. You, you know, the that that the, the time thing falls off a cliff. If you miss it by a few seconds, the whole thing doesn't work, and this didn't work for that kind of reason. Particularly as you would have given them okay if Bulldog had just like waited in position, but he did just grab onto Bart's trousers and then just waited, and it's like. Bart, you're holding up Owen Hart. If someone grabs hold of your trousers, you're going to notice it. Especially somebody who can, you know, bench press 500 pounds like the Bulldog. You know, it's not going to be a a light tug. No, no, it's not. Uh, This match was bad. Um, Another pair of heels, um, or a quartet of heels, if you want to call it like that. Um, And, yeah, uh, you know... There's a lot of people listening to this show that are fans of Owen Hart. There's a lot of people listening to this show that are fans of the British Bulldog as well. I just don't see it. Um, you know, Owen for me is good, um, but I, I wouldn't be putting Owen in main events unless he was in a, you know, unless it was Shawn Michaels or, or Bret Hart. You know, I, 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 you know, I'm not, I've, I've never seen Owen Hart carry a wrestling match before. You, know, you really wouldn't, you really wouldn't want to see a main event or even a semi main of Owen Hart versus Shawn Michaels at this pay per view. Oh that no, 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 no. With, with, any, with anyone else, with anyone else other than okay, those two. Okay, okay, I, I, do, I do get your point. You know, I, I, I'm trying to think who would even fit the bill in that regard. Kind of a, you know, I don't know that I want to see Owen Hart and Undertaker. Let's, <laughs> let's let's say that. Let's 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 leave that. We, we, one we there. did get that. We did get that on Raw a few months ago, and Undertaker um, broke out his jumping tombstone for that one. So there you go. There yes, we go. That's right. There we go. There we go. But anyway, anyway, I, I just think Owen Hart's a, a bit overdone. But there we are. Um, yeah, the match was bad. Um, but let's let let's split up the smoking guns because they cannot possibly be worth less than the sum of their parts because the sum of their parts isn't very much. Uh, and if they are, God help us. Um, it, it is long story short. Uh, and yes, we, 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 I didn't mention it much, uh, much but um, Jim Ross was still having mic issues during this match. We come back and Jim Ross is now in the ring. Ross says Bret Hart is going to come back tomorrow with a shovel because he's going to bury some people. Ross says he's done for the night and walks off. He throws it to Vince, who's quite happy as he takes a clean catch. 
Farouk has a hamstring injury, so we see a clip from the free floor with Ahmed Johnson having quote-unquote attacked him. We only see the aftermath. Uh, anyway, here's Mr. Perfect again, and he's out to commentate. And next up, he is commentating on Goldust with Marlena versus Wildman Mark Marrow with Sable for the WWF Intercontinental title. We get a weird pyro screen for Marrow. Looks a bit like scaffolding. Marrow starts with a couple of arm drags, then a nice rolling one, then another. Goldust angers Marrow, so Marrow takes him down and just about hits a head Goldust tumbles to the floor, so Marrow hits a somersault plancher. He then hits a slingshot leg drop back into the ring. Marrow climbs to the top, but Goldust cuts him off and hits a one-arm powerbomb. Marrow comes off of the ropes and Goldust hits a clothesline. We get a double crossbody and a near fall after a long rest hold. Goldust requests the mic. This is the bit where he tries to line up the crowd as he threatens to stick his tongue down. Well, we don't hear any more than that. Uh, but it is a shockingly, shockingly uh, relevant, regular, reliable was the word I was looking for. Shockingly reliable way of getting heat. Uh, Mero goes to the top and it's a lovely moonsault after quickly readjusting his positioning. Goldust sets for the final curtain. Mero counters the roll-up before being thrown over the top rope. I'm surprised, given that it's the two former WCW guys, the match didn't just stop. Uh, Mr. Perfect goes to look goes to look to Mero on the floor. Out comes Hunter Hearst Halsey. He and Perfect square off and that's about it. Goldust aims a punch at Perfect but he sees it coming and hits him first. Back in the ring, Marrow hits a Samoan drop, then sets for a wild thing, a shooting star press. It looks really, really good, and Marrow actually wins with it, which is even better. Uh, Eric, what do you think of this? That wild thing is is pretty impressive. Uh, It must kill his knees, um, and for a guy who I think has had knee problems uh, in the past, uh, that's that's interesting, but, you know, that's a beautiful move. you know, I think I was looking back, and I believe this is Goldust's one-year anniversary. He debuted in October '95 against Janetti at that same uh, draw pay-per-view in, in Canada. Um, and then everything else was kind of ho hum on, and here we are one year later. And I don't, I can't remember one decent Goldust match that we've had on a pay-per-view. Um, I don't understand why somebody who was so good, or at least you know so decent in WCW, is is clearly out of shape and clearly not at least presenting as motivated to, to do well. And it's just, it's unfortunate because this is a character that should be, you know, transcendent and should be, you know, moving us, moving us forward. And, and he's just not, and these two guys, they've worked together a lot and their matches are always okay. But the more, the more that we, we see them, it's more like we talked about with uh, the guns and Owen and Bulldog Maybe we need to separate these two people and put them with, with other folks who are capable of elevating them. Because when they get together, it seems like they just drag each other down more than elevating one another. Rory, I think we've said this before, but John B. Bad and Dustin Rose was a far better pairing than Mark Marrow and Goldust, wasn't it? By a long, long, long way. Um, one thing I will say in their defence, this was certainly better than the absolute bore fest that they served up for us at SummerSlam. Absolutely. Um, yeah. It was definitely uh, an advance on that. Uh, the main reason for that is that Mero, I'm, I'm very pleased to say this, was actually given the lion's share of the offence. And for the first four or five minutes, he was actually really given an opportunity to show us what he can do. And he just hasn't been able to do that in the WWF. Uh, even with the Intercontinental title, he just hasn't got going. But the first four or five minutes, says, yeah, yes, this guy, yes, he's got some flashy moves, but this guy can actually work. He can wrestle as well. Uh, I'm very, very glad he went over, because um, the Wild Thing is a fantastic move. Uh, 
really, really good, really impressive. Um, it's, it's a finisher in anybody's book. Mm-hmm. Not two months ago, but it was today, thank goodness. Um, but Goldust eating the pin, which he did have to do here, is, having said that, a very bad sign for him. Ever since he dropped the IC belt back in June, uh, he's been going backwards, backwards, backwards. He had that feud that wasn't really a feud with The Undertaker that seemed to go on forever, uh, which didn't help either guy, I don't think. And now he's been here a year. I just don't really know what to do with him now. But the shock value's gone. Uh, he's got no heat. He has to get on the mic to pretend the crowd are booing him to get them to boo him, uh, which is never a good sign. And but it's a difficult character to tweak. You know, if you know, where do you go with this? Uh, a, oh, I'd have buried him with Undertaker of... in the main event. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Might as well. He, he, he was there. Just, just one. Just one swift push would have got him in there. We could have forgotten all about it. Um, it's a very because they've gone so far with it, they can't really just out and out repackage him. But they need to come up with something. Because um, you can make him just disappear and then bring him back in five months or do. something completely different. Yeah, we said as you said, we've intimated both. We both intimated the guy's a good worker. He proved the guy's a really good up and atom fiery baby face. Um, but Vince just didn't see him as that for whatever reason and gave him this, which got a lot of a, a lot of notoriety and a lot of attention. But um, we, we've seen it all now, and uh, they need to do something else. But yeah, the match itself, the match itself was good, and the, the right person went over, and the right way as well. Yeah, Eric talked about with Austin about how the character evolves. The movesets probably got evolved with it as well. Um, I think with Goldust, when Goldust first started, and we, we've kind of spoken about Brian Pillman before as well, in that there was a trade-off between. Goldust playing this character that was really out there, that had all its positives, versus what it did to Dustin Rhodes' ability to wrestle a good wrestling match. And I kind of feel in the, you know, there was that period between maybe month three and month six where he kind of, the character found its feet and he was able to get some stuff over the early part of this year. And then they really, really pulled it back. And we're now at the stage where, whereas beforehand, the positives of the character outweighed the problems that he couldn't wrestle a very good match. Now, the positives of the character are far fewer than the negatives of the fact he can't wrestle as Dustin Rose. I think Eric makes a good point that he doesn't seem to be in great shape at the moment either. Um, You put all those factors in together and it is now just a negative in that he is just wrestling bad matches with no heat. Um, and he doesn't do anyone any favours, including himself. As I say, I, I, I think the best thing to do would just be to write the character completely off, send him away for a few months, either come back with a new gimmick, or, heaven forbid, just push, push him as a road. Roads. Um, as, you know, maybe Vincent Mann would be reluctant to do that, given that, you know, Dusty, his dad, is on, you know, commentating on WCW television at the moment. Um, but, you know, he's in the system. You might as well use him. You might as well, you know, use use the Rhodes name. You might as well do that. Um, if you can't come up with something similarly as, you know, something good that is doesn't use his name. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't think... If you're not willing to go anywhere with this Goldust character, it is just a lame duck. It is just sitting there. Thankfully, this match was quite good. And Rory, I think you're right. The reason it's quite good was that Merrow did most of the offensive work. Um, and Mark Merrow, John Obi Bad, is a really good character. Uh, sorry, he's a really good wrestler. The character needs some work still. Um, but I get the feeling 
that once this all came together, once the Brett thing came together and once the Mr. Perfect thing, well, didn't, I get the feeling this match may have been a little different were they not setting up what we were going to see the following night. Um, so, as, as is often the case, when a booker's hand gets forced, often it's for better reasons. When they need to get someone over and they're like, right, we're setting up Nero for this angle the following night, he needs to win cleanly, shock fucking horror, it's probably better than what they had planned beforehand, which would have been Nero hitting the wild thing, there being some shenanigans involving Marlena, and Goldust winning by DQ. It's funny how these kind of things work. And I'm not saying that was definitely going to happen. I'm just saying I'm using my intuition here. I've seen this shit before. It worked because their hand was forced. And it's a shame we get like that. But anyway, anyway, we move on. It's next up. It's Sid versus Vader with Jim Cornette. Uh, and the winner will face Sean Michaels at Survivor's Survivor Series even for the WWF title. Out comes Shawn Michaels. The fans take a while to react. Presumably they think it shows Eletherio. Uh, Shawn looks quite different in a suit jacket. Michaels blows his nose on Cornette's hanky before kicking him. Vader takes a shot, but Michaels ducks, and Sid takes advantage to start the match. Vader quickly gets on top. Shawn joins Vincent King on commentary. Vader squashes Sid in the corner. Out on the outside, Vader distracts the ref, so Cornette hits Sid with his tennis racket. The pair exchange hard punches on the apron. Sid does a sunset flip, but Vader just sits on it. Sid comes off the top, but Vader catches him and slams him down. Vader hits a standard splash from the second rope, pins spits Sid, but then pulls up at two. Vader goes for the bomb, but Sid moves. Sid hits a body slam, then sets her a power bomb. Cornette tries to get in the ring. Sid sees it coming, so he pulls, up, pulls the second rope into Cornette's crotch. He resets for it, but as the ref is dealing with Cornette, Vader hits a low blow. Vader goes for a power bomb, but he can't do it either. Sid hits a choke slam, just barely. A uh, quick three count, and that's the end of that one. Out of the match, Sean slowly gets in the ring and faces off with Sid. There's a friendly exchange between the two. Rory? If you have no intention of doing something in life, then you shouldn't draw attention to it. The build <laughs> for this, The build for this match... Pretty much the entire build for this, we had two. We had the, it was going to be the number one contender for the match of Survivor Series. Okay. The second, and arguably uh, in the short term, even more important, was who's got the best power bomb out of these two guys? Other than a couple of teases, the match didn't end with a power bomb. Now, you could argue that they booked themselves into a corner with that, and that's fair enough. Would Sid really be able to power bomb Vader, a power bomb worthy of the name? Mm, okay, possibly not. But just, just, just don't mention it. Don't mention it. They had promos before it beforehand. The video package rabbited on about it. The commentators talked about it during the match. And you, it's as close to a bait and switch without being a bait and switch as, as you're going to get. That left a sour taste. As it was the eight or so minutes we got, uh, it, it was, it was okay. It was okay. It was pretty much what you would expect from a second from the top. Big man match. Vader. I thought Vader was going to win, I must say. Uh, Sid, Sid getting the win at the end was, was a bit of a shock to me. Because um, I, I said a couple of months ago, I thought Vader, Sean 2 at Survivor Series was a bit of a lock. But uh, but no, Sid winning just put an interesting spin on things. A big face-to-face big -face match next month. Um, 
but I just hope and pray that Sid never goes up to the top rope ever again as long as he lives. Just I know they, I know they wanted to mix it up, and that's fair play. But when he was going up there for that body press, I was like, please, please just save this spot is where Vader catches him and moves on. Please don't do anything. Mercifully, that is what happened. My heart was in my mouth at that one. And you're, you're right, Bob. It really wasn't a choke slam at the end. It was almost a short arm coastline, bless him. But um, again, they got. They just about got to where they wanted to get. And I'm not sure if it's the right result, but I'm not sure if it's the wrong result either. We'll see going forward. But uh, again, as this entire pay-per-view just seems to be doing, it succeeded in accomplishing what it wants to accomplish, if not much more. Rory, isn't the finish to this match that Vader goes for a 10-punch and Sid picks him off and it's a powerbomb? Yep, it's right there. That's, that's the finish, off. right? Like that's, yep, that's, 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 that's really easy. Yep, it's uh, it's uh, again um, to smart eyes. You might think that's a bit um, uh, oh come on, a bit obvious setup. But hey, it pays off what they built up for, which was well, it was it was not like what they did was good either, was it? Like you know, no, I'm not, it wasn't like they had like a, a really good non-powerbomb finish, had a pretty <laughs> shit finish, and it was like what, that's the really obvious out. Neither guy can get each other up for the powerbomb. So Vaya goes for a ten punch, and then Sid cuts him off and just hits it. That's the end. Like, yep, absolutely. Unless, unless you're really, really, really going to wow us, and Sid's going to win with a 450 splash or something. Just, just, <laughs> just, just, just a power bomb out of a corner would have been absolutely fine. Yep, I agree. Yeah, well, well, I mean, you could have done the Battle of the Moon Salts. Oh God, oh, go. <laughs> careful what well, you wish. Well, well at, at least in this case, Vader can do it because we were in a match with this one where neither guy could do their big move. At least in the Battle of the Moonsault, you know, I mean, you could have teased it with Sid. I don't know. Uh, Eric? Vader's finisher has never been the powerbomb in the WWF, and it was kind of even an ancillary finisher in, in WCW. Uh, and so for them to be arguing about the powerbomb, you know, it's Sid's finisher, it's not Vader's. So I think that was just a really awkward and, and poorly thought-out way to get these two together. That said, I think it's a good idea to get these two together because, boy, the crowd just loves Sid. I mean, if he didn't get the biggest pop of the night, he got dang near close. And they didn't care at all about Vader. I don't know where this is coming from. I don't know what Sid has done to earn any of this goodwill with the fans. I don't know where it's coming from. But Sid, that music hits, and the crowd went wild. He got a far better reaction than Shawn Michaels did. That's exactly what I was going to say next. Shawn Michaels, who's the guy that, that, that WWF has hitched their wagons to for the next several years, it seems. Shawn, got, his pop was clearly secondary to Sid. So I don't know what this is. But, boy, after hearing that, it was not surprising to me that Sid went over because the crowd was absolutely dead after Vader. And, and the fact that Vader didn't go over at SummerSlam, I think, affected – I mean – didn't go over with the belt, uh, I think that effectively killed his credibility because he lost to a guy clean in the middle of the ring who's 200 pounds lighter and, and half a foot, half a foot shorter. I get that's WWF booking, you know, conquering hero over, you know, giant heel, but, you know, Vader, I, he needs to be built back up and putting Sid in that spot for now with the reaction he's getting with his history with Sean going back to after WrestleMania 11 when he gave him the five power bombs you know it's it's not a bad way to go uh considering these are the two guys on the card Sean and Sid I mean 
who seem to be getting the biggest pops by far. That said, Sid in the main event spot, if they're considering this as a long-term solution, God help us all. Eric, you said it's it's the WWS method booking style of having the conquering hero over the giant. But isn't that story where the giant has the title, probably wins it off the conquering hero, and then the conquering hero chases for a while, and then he beats the giant, right? That That's the story. Well, that's the NWA WCW story, but I mean, the, the, the problem is, you know, Hogan, Hogan kind of ruined that for everybody, whereas Hogan never chased. Hogan, for the largest time, always had the belt. And, but, and he but Hogan went, was never small either. Well, but, but no, but he was small compared, he was, he was presented to be small compared to say, Earthquake, Andre, uh, Typhoon, etc. And so I think, you know, and, 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 and I agree, you know, it doesn't make logical sense because Hogan's probably 6'7", 305, you know, even out of shape. But Sean, Sean's not going to chase. We've seen him every time he's tried to drop a belt or, or, uh, or, or, or be the, the underdog and it just doesn't work. Um, and, and here, um, I think it's time for, for somebody other than Vader to, to step into that spot because, you know, it seems like for whatever reason, the Vader experiment hasn't worked and he needs to be, like we talked about Goldust, but to a lesser extent, you know, get him off for a little while, build him back up, and maybe he can be a top heel in early 97. But for now, considering the pop that Sid's getting, considering the, the match that he and Sean should have had and never really did have after after WrestleMania 11, this does at least make some, some logical sense. Rory, you, you, you mentioned who should have won this match. We, we couple uh, an odd choice of main event with uh, a poor run of TV ratings with the odd mention, I think, in the Observer last month that there were discussions to take the belt off of Shawn Michaels sooner rather than later. We couple all that with the fact that Sid right now is probably the most popular guy in the company. Uh, Rory, all roads port to Sid winning next month, don't they? Because it's a it's a really really odd matchup. If not, unless Vader's too injured to compete, but he he wrestled here. Uh, say what you will about Vince McMahon, but, um, he he's always wanted to try to capitalise when he sees when he sees popularity coming around the corner. Yes. He did it when when Hogan arrived in 1983, put the belt on him pretty much the next month, and the rest is history. Again, we talk about it every month, Sid's utterly inexplicable popularity. But the, the more we try and argue with it, the more the rest of the crowds just just beat us back. Like, okay, you win. You love the guy. Okay. And especially, especially as I would imagine they're going to be going in face v face. I don't mean they might. I think it'd be suicidal trying to turn Sid and Sean then turning heel anytime soon. Um, so it's going to be face to face. That's not, they've not, they've built it as face versus face on the TVs that sit. Yeah, they have. Doing the old uh, buddy buddy um, uh, uh, fist bump thing and all that. And they need to keep it that, in my opinion. But, um, I don't see. I, I don't see how Sean wins. I don't see how Sean leaves with the belt in New York now. I, I think it's. I'd say it's almost close nigh on certain that Sid is somehow going to come away with the title. Even if I don't know he turns heel during the match or something, but I think they almost have to do that now, don't they? Because I don't, I unless you, know, you unless you turn Sean, yeah, oh, that's, that's not going to happen. Well, I mean, oh. 
it, yeah. you know, we, we talk about doing, you know, because the thing is, if, if you're going to talk about sitting winning the title, what the fuck happens after that? I've no idea. <laughs> That's but, what I was going to say. But, but yeah. if, if we've got Brett coming back and Brett goes over Austin and then Sean turns and then, because the, here's the thing, right? We talk about Brett and Austin at WrestleMania next year. I don't think we want to do babyface versus babyface again. We all know how flat WrestleMania was going in when it was Brett and Sean talking about conditioning and respect. Fuck that. Like, don't do that again. Like, if you're going to go down that road, maybe it just sets up like that. I don't know. Um, Bob, you, you might cool. be onto something here. Sorry to cut you. I mean, you might be onto something here because if Sid's getting these reactions in Indianapolis in the Midwest, which is supposed to be uh, of the United States, which is supposed to be your kayfabe, you know, harbor, you're, 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 you know, you come here to cultivate kayfabe. They're going to New York City. Sid's going to get the biggest pop of the night. And, and I have to believe that that crowd is going to, you know, if Sid's going to get the, that crowd's going to eviscerate Sean. Yeah. And, and, and Shawn sure, sure Michaels, sorry, oh, Shawn Michaels is like, Shawn Michaels is big popular with the women, but right. I, I'd never got the feeling Shawn Michaels was this massively popular guy with the blokes. And you're going to talk about an audience that's going to be predominantly males, 18 to 49. It's going to be MSG, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So they might have to put the belt on Sid even if for a, you know, for a couple of weeks just to make sure the crowd doesn't just die at the end and, and, and kill Sean. This is it. You've just said about, you've just nailed it there, I think, uh, about putting the belt on Sid uh, for a couple of weeks. Um, uh, it, would, it would have to be that. I mean, no matter how, how, the rea- how glad the reactions that Sid's getting are, they might even well be WWF title star reactions. As I've just said, I think they probably will be. But is he, the, I'll, I'll throw this out there, is he the guy that you can really build a company around as a champion? No. It would have to be short term, wouldn't it? Yeah, Surely. yeah, um, yeah. You're right. I mean, Sid, Sid can't go into WrestleMania as champion, right? No way. Absolutely there, there's, no way. There's no not a chance. You know, and Sid and Brett is a really odd fit. There, there's no good WrestleMania main event that is Sid as one half of it. Um, but there was always the thought, and we were discussing Brett's return a couple of months ago, there was always the thought that Sean going right the way through to WrestleMania felt a bit clunky, which is why I said, well, the, the optimal idea would have been put the title on Vader, probably at SummerSlam, but you still could have done it next month. And then Vader could have bridged the gap for a few months, then you could reassess the situation. Then you've got the Royal Rumble. Then you can either have Brett, drop, Brett take the title off of Vader and maybe have Sean win the Royal Rumble again, or do something like that. Um... But you're right. Um, Sid wins the belt. Who does Sid drop it to, though? What back to Sean Roy? Yeah, this is it. Um, again, uh, and, uh, because wanna... because if that's the pe- if that's the idea, what's the point? Yeah, exactly. Then it just feels like you're you're giving Sid the title almost as almost as a sop. Always getting into big crowd reactions. Let's let's put the title on him. But we didn't really have any mega super plans for him, so we'll we'll let Sean take the belt again at the next pay per view, and we'll pretend that nothing ever happened. That's the one issue I have with them putting the belt on Sid, even though at least in the very short term, all signs do almost point to it being the only real option. It's it's a really it's a really tricky one. I mean, I bet I, as bizarre as it sounds, I kind of wish now that I reckon that Vince is wishing now that Sid didn't get the hero's welcome he got at the July pay per view. It would have been a lot easier. Vader and run with it, you know. I think yeah. Vader's cooked. 
Yeah, um, yeah, I, that's the thing. I don't even know that Vader wins a title at Survivor Series. That's all that strong. Like, they, you know, Vader is, Vader not beating Shawn Michaels at SummerSlam is kind of like the Lex Luger thing three years ago. Absolutely. And the, you know, and also completely different in that Vader's been, you know, a world champion in WCW. Actually, Luger was as well, wasn't he? Was he? Was Luke World yes. Champion in WCW? Over Wyndham when Fire left, yep. That's the one. Um, but yeah, like that feels like that kind of missed opportunity because in the same way, Luger won that match by counter. Vader won the match against Shawn Michaels by every possible way other than winning it. In many ways, there's actually an interesting similarity <laughs> between those two. But the, the Vader thing's always been up and down. Like, there's always been enough plausible deniability about Vader's booking, but it's not actually been any good. Um, the more I think about it, I think the right guy won here. Like the more in the yeah, well, I, Vader and Sean is a stronger concept, but Sean has to win that match next month because I I think if you were going to give Vader the title, the time to do it was two months ago. Sean and Sid is a bit more awkward, but I've got the feeling that in New York, Sean is just going to have to cope with being booed which should be okay. And in many ways, that actually might be a slight improvement over Sean against Vader with Sean being booed. In many ways, if you just say, oh, we think Sean might get a mixed reaction, let's put him in the ring with Sid. That might actually work. We'll find out that next month. Um, but yeah, um, I yeah, I quite like Sean turning heel in all that. We'll, we'll talk about the match in a minute. I quite like the idea of Sean turning heel in that in that scenario. Because, as I say, I mean, you can't do Brett and Sean as Bayface again. No, and I think I think Bob, you've effectively sold me as Sean as a heel. The more that I think about him coming out in MSG, if he were just to embrace the heel role, I think that would be a really compelling match because you're going to have not only you're going to have this 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 size disparity and these guys, you know, Sean and Sid that have you know at least a couple years of history that they capitalize on. But you're going to have a gender disparity too, where Sean can play up the, the the sexy boy role almost as he did when he was a heel, and he'll still have the women cheering him. And Sid can come out as this macho, ass kicking, you know, conquering. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this for the men. I'm gonna show this pretty boy, you know, what's what. I think that could be a really compelling match if Sean were just to embrace it. Whether he will, I don't know. It's gonna be so fucking disappointing next month when Sean wins now, and it fuck. There we go. As often, uh, fantasy is better than reality, where a lot of this is concerned. Back to the match, yeah, uh, not not that good, but I ain't that surprised. Like this, this needed to be a this needed to be a stand up brawl. Like that was, you know, screw the powerbomb thing. Just you know, let the let you know, let Vader lay a load of punches in. Let Sid do his kind of whirling dervish type punchy thing. Um... And then, yeah, get Vader up for a 10-punch and then have Sid powerbomb him. That's the end of that. Um, the match wasn't very good. It wasn't long enough, thankfully, to be really all that bad. Um, but the more I think about it, I, yeah, the, the right guy might have gone over. I just say we talk about it like... I, I, I think I think Rory, you said it. You kind of hit it on the head. It's like, who cares if this wasn't the plan? Like... So there's something there with Sid at a time where you don't have very much. It's not like there's a load of other options right now. Maybe just go with it. And like we talk about what's the what's the um what's the plan once Sid wins the title. Work it out when you get there. You know, it's not like it's not a WrestleMania's around the corner. Sid could win the title in November and you've got the Royal Rumble. 
there's a load of different ways out if you decide actually this ain't working. Or, heaven forbid, Sid gets over as a mega popular babyface champion, and then you're like, oh shit, now we've got Sid in the main event of WrestleMania. That's well, yeah, but like you only get to that point if Sid's really over. Right. That's not the worst set of circumstances to be in. You, I don't know what you do after that, but that's not the worst idea. Anyway, can I just throw one more thing, just very, very briefly on Go this? On. Uh, is is Sid at the moment? And I know they're uh, responding to his crowd reactions. Is Sid fulfilling the role that the Ultimate Warrior was originally going to play? Um. Oh, oh. That's just come to me in the last thirty seconds. Well, I, I guess the well, I, the big question is, is that what what you know? Because because yes, you are, Sid Sid filled in for the Ultimate Warrior, but what would Sid be doing right now if Ultimate Warrior hadn't have had those issues? Because it's not what like Sid, it's yet. not it's not like Sid came back from an injury or something like that. He was just not working. And then they picked up the phone and said, we need you. And he went, all right, I'll come in. Also, they, they tried Brett and a few other people as well. But yeah, you're right. Um, would Warrior have been the spot? He might have been. Um, yeah. I, I, I like Sid in this scenario more than I do Warrior. <laughs> me, me too. Let's, let's, uh, <laughs> let's, say, let, let's move on with that. Um, Doc Hendricks backstage asks, uh, asks Sid a question, but before he can finish, Jim Ross walks up. Sid then just blurts out, what's your question, little man? Sid says he'll do anything he needs to to fulfill his destiny. You know, just your you, you usual jumpy, shouty, all over the place promo from Sid. And we move on to the main event. It's Mankind with Paul Bearer versus The Undertaker in a buried alive match. If you don't know, basically, sort of kind of similar to the Hogpen thing last year, they basically assembled the gravesite. This was more right by the staging area rather than kind of halfway down the entrance ramp. So they kind of had to like stack up a load, a mound of dirt. So also they had a, a deep enough pot pit for the gravesite itself. And then they just had a st- standard-ish gravesite plot that would have been about, I don't know, a meter deep, something like that, and a tombstone behind it, etc., etc. And the objective, of course, was to put your opponent in it, start burying him with dirt, and the referee would go, that's enough. Well, that's basically what happened. Anyway. We start right from the go. The place is filled with smoke. Undertaker gets Mankind in the corner and pummels him. Mankind tries to pull him out of the ring. Undertaker kicks him away and predictably Mankind's head smashes off the guardrail. Undertaker goes to the top. Yes, this really happened. And he's a flying clothesline to Mankind on the floor. Move quick to the gravesite. Mankind manages to stub him with the butt of the shovel. Mankind attempts a suplex. Undertaker hits an inside cradle, and the pair roll down the mound. Yeah, that was a that was that was probably the most striking visual of the ball. Was Undertaker having Mankind an inside cradle, and then just rolling down a hill. That actually happened. Undertaker grabs an electrical cord and strangles Mankind with it. Things spill into the crowd, but we're nowhere near the grave site. Taker throws Mankind back to ringside area and then hits a diving clothesline over the guardrail. That's really nice. Undertaker goes for a punch from the top rope, but as he's walking along it, Bearer gets on the apron and crotches him. Bearer gives Mankind something, looks like a form of prison shank, and Mankind digs it into Undertaker's head. Undertaker attacks Mankind a bit, then sets his sights on Bearer. Mankind grabs a chair and sets off in pursuit. Undertaker stops that attack, but Bearer distracts him with a shot of the urn, and Undertaker turns it into a hard chair shot to the head. Or turns, sorry, turns into a hard chair shot to the head. 
Mankind does his running knee into the ring steps. Looks like we're headed back towards the grave site. Undertaker falls into the grave, but the rules say he must be buried in dirt. Mankind grabs a shovel, but Taker gets up and stops him. Mankind attempts to hit Toss into the grave. Undertaker counters and throws him off the mound, and we head back towards the ring. I think, I think that might have taken the air out of the crowd a bit. I think they wanted that to be the bit where stuff in the grave site happened. Anyway. Mankind hits a pile driver, then goes for a pin. Yeah, uh, I'll forgive you. I'll forgive them in this situation in that this is the kind of match where you might just because all the shit going on, you might just go for a pin. I thought storyline wise, that just about made sense. Undertaker smashes Mankind over the back with a chair, then does a leg drop onto the chair, sitting on Mankind's face. Bearer looks somewhat pleased at that. Mankind exposed the concrete, but Taker reverses a pile driver attempt to a back body drop by falling backwards into the steps. In the ring, Mankind runs into a sh- uh, shot of the steel steps. Undertaker hits a tombstone pile driver, then points towards the grave site, which gets a pop. Undertaker actually carries him up the aisleway. Mankind locks in the mandible claw on the mound. Paul Bearer throws Mankind the urn for the second big catch of the night. Well, I suppose we're, uh, we're near the World Series, so I guess that makes sense. Undertaker then does a quite impressive choke out into the grave. He then starts shoveling dirt and Mankind gets covered a bit. And that ends that. The ref wants him to stop, but Taker keeps shoveling, so the Taker shoves the ref away and then another one. After the match, out of nowhere, a masked assailant uh, attack as hits the Undertaker with a shovel. That was Terry Gordy. The masked man pulls Mankind out, puts the Undertaker in, and then he and Mankind start burying him. Undertaker slides out of a trap door at this point. We also don't see that bit, um, but there's clearly nobody in there because they're just shooting a lot of wide-angle shots. Out come Goldust, Bradshaw, and I think Hunter Hearst Helmsley to help fill the grave, uh, although this is taking a while. I think that's partly why they sent some extra guys out there. Fans actually start lobbing rubbish into the hole. There's some good arms in Indianapolis. It takes a long time, but they just about fill it enough. And Mankind stands in the grave. A bolt of lightning strikes the grave site. Undertaker's arm shoots out by the tombstone. He wiggles it around to show everyone he's still alive. And that's how we go off the air. Eric. Bob, the problems with this match are self-evident, so I'm going to focus on the positives, and there were a lot of them. I love watching Undertaker and Mankind beat the hell out of each other. I don't think that's gotten old yet, and I think these two have two or three more matches in them. They just seem to gel with one another, and and it's fantastic. Taker had such a long string of, of terrible opponents. It's just the pleasure of watching him go against somebody who can who can take his offense, who can give offense... They just have wonderful chemistry. Is it not also that the characters mesh really well together? Oh, 100%. The the Mankind character, I think, you know, I'm not going to say it's the perfect foil because we we don't know that for sure because we don't know what's coming down the road. But but so far, this is the best character they've had to be the foil to The Undertaker. And these two just work so well together. I love the fact that it's clear that The Undertaker is opening up his offense, opening up his offensive arsenal to beat Mankind because his standard moveset just cannot get it done. We've seen it King of the Ring and at, and at SummerSlam. Granted, there's been some interference here and there, but it, I think The Undertaker character-wise is realizing that his standard punch-kick, flying clothesline, tombstone offense cannot beat this this crazy monster mankind. So he's got to fly through the air. He's got to put his body on the line. He's got to take risks that he hasn't done it before. It's been an 
excellent opportunity for the Undertaker's character to evolve and for him to introduce these moves into his arsenal that move him beyond this kind of, well, I don't want to say boring, but boring, slow, plodding, methodical Undertaker. Add in Paul Bear to this, and you just have three guys who know exactly where the story needs to go, exactly what they need to do within the matches to get it there. You know, aside from the end, aside from the Royal Rumble 94, you know, Barry, you know, have all the heels come out and bury Undertaker. I think, you know, aside from the, the stipulation itself, this was actually a pretty good match in a, in a worthy main event. Roy. Three more. This might even be Undertaker's greatest ever, at least certainly his greatest ever televised match in the WWF. I, I, I can't, especially when you consider the absolute scrubs he was in with for the last two years, at the very least. Um, I think it probably is. The, I think you've nailed it. The Mankind character in both kayfabe and non-kayfabe, uh, both the kayfabe and non-kayfabe perspective, is a perfect counterpoint to The Undertaker. He has to try to hit him with everything, and it's making him Mark Calloway himself is is having himself having to pull out the stops. So he he was a pretty damn good worker in his mean Mark days back in WCW. But it does it does um, being Overcom was a great worker doesn't really fit his Undertaker character. I understand that, but we've seen him walking slowly around the ring, staring at people. Rest in peace, Tombstone. Da di da di da. We've seen that for we've seen that for nearly five and a half years until uh, Mick Foley came along. This completely moved the goalposts, and this was a fantastic brawl. This was everything that the first part of the boiler room brawl should have been. Not least because we could actually see what the hell was going on this time. Uh, so I, I, they looked at what what worked with the boiler room brawl. I the idea of them beating the hell out of each other. Saw what didn't work: uh, the length, uh, the fact it wasn't well lit. Um, the fact the, it was in front of anyone. The fact that nobody could see what the hell was going on on TV or in the arena, if you paid money to be there, as I said at the time. And they eliminated that, and they just let them beat the merry hell out of each other. And they 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 left it all out there. I mean, that I'm just I can play back in my head now. That chair shot from Mankind to Undertaker in particular. Oh my God, did he have a swing for the oh. fences on that one, or what? He's straight creamed him the poor bastard um and it was such a compelling watch maybe just a fraction too long i think you put it in your uh, in your right up there bob there were probably a couple of moments where they they could have chipped off they might have gone home a little bit sooner but well, uh, it that, that's that, a... they, they should they, they just shouldn't have vacated the grave site for the second time once yeah, they, were, once they went back, it should have stayed in there. You need to tweak some other stuff that you're doing. Because I, I think the, the air went out of the crowd a bit when they all buggered off for the second time. Tease it once fairly early on, then, then, then get out of the way. Have your brawl, then then, then take it home by, by the graveside. <laughs> or even have, even have Foley and, uh, I'm sorry, have Mankind and, and Bear explore it before they, they get into the ring. Have them come out, go up there, look around and act terrified. That establishes it for the camera, establishes it for the crowd, what they're up against, and then go to the ring. And then when you come back, it's already been established. Great idea. They, cause they, they sort of hinted at that in the, in the video packages on the Raws uh, before the match. You had a uh, Mankind saying, oh, I don't want to be buried alive. Paul Bearer saying, you won't, you won't. That would have been a great, taking that forward would, would have been a great opportunity for them to really sell the fear as they walked out. Where you know, is the, the, Yokozuna when you need him? 
<laughs> no, nobody sells being buried alive better than Yokozuna does, so I'm with you on that one. But yeah, f- uh, fantastic brawl. Again, which is pretty rare for the WWF, but they've, over the last year or so, they've, they've kind of hinted at this, maybe may going this sort of style a bit more often. I think they have definitely had the right guys in the right situation to do it. And I was a bit, uh, about the buried alive stipulation, uh, first off. But it gives, in a way, it gives Undertaker a chance to get a victory. But, um, as Eric says, and the ending as well gives a chance to keep the feud going. Cause there's, there's, there's some juice in this one yet, yeah, definitely. There's lots of ways they could explore. I still think there's a lot more with the Paul Bearer Mankind uh, relationship that they could possibly go into. So, even with all the hocus pocus stuff, which I, you've got to take that with The Undertaker, really. If you can accept the guy's dead, you can accept the lightning bolt <laughs> strike in the grave. But, uh, I thought this was a really compelling brawl and, uh, a worthy main event. Bob, can I just, can cool. we, I, I just, uh, Paul Bear is, 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 you know, he's great in this, in this role that he's playing now. There's just so many subtle things he does throughout these matches between The Undertaker and Mankind. Not the interference at the end, not calling out all the heels, not bringing in the executioner, but just the subtle things. For example, you know, Taker climbs up the rope to do that walking on the top rope clothesline, and Bear immediately recognizes it, taps the rope, and Taker falls off. It's just things like that that make this a great feud because you have somebody in Paul Bear who's intrinsically aware of everything The Undertaker is thinking and doing, and he's using that knowledge to, 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 to take The Undertaker apart piece by piece, and that, that, that is a, a detail of this feud that cannot be understated, in my opinion. No, um, yeah, I mean, but very good points from, from both of you. I haven't really got that much to add. I mean, I, I think the... The, the whole thing with The Undertaker, and, and you, you basically said it, but was, what's the point in having all these superpowers if you never need them? Like, it's not like, you know, it, 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 in many kind of ways, like, you know, have the superpowers if you're not that good. But it's like, well, he is that good. Like, you know, he, he wrestles these feuds with, with guys that aren't any good. He just beats them. Like, you know, but finally now he's found a foe that, as you say, we can't, he can't beat him using normal means. So having these superpowers actually makes sense. And that's the key point is that if he's going to face karma, he just <laughs> beats karma, right? That's it. He doesn't need any superpowers. It's the NWO thing. It's like, why does, why, if they're winning a three on eight battle, why do they need the giant on their side as well? If Undertaker can just beat people ordinarily, why does he need all these extra powers? Finally, he's found a guy that he can go up against. And I think we kind of got to it was that not only is, you know, Mick Foley and Mark Carraway a really good pairing, but Mankind and The Undertaker is a really good pairing. And it helps that Mankind, Mick Foley, is willing just to, you know, kid himself in a main event and Undertaker's willing to wear a chair shot across the head as painful as that looks. All of that. Um, yeah, there were faults with this match, let's be clear. We, we, we were probably overly glowing of it, but more just the mechanics, or sorry, more just the what it all meant rather than the mechanics of the match. Um I, I, as I said, I thought it was a mistake to, to, to go away from the grave start a second time um, and all of that. But we kind of, we got back to the top. The finish was okay. As I said, I, it was a bit flat with the whole, you know, Mankind goes in, Undertaker starts shoveling, gets like a layer of dirt on top of him and the ref goes, yeah, that's enough. And it's like, yeah, but we've got like 
three tons of dirt over there and, and he just, you know, stuck a couple of shovelfuls on top and that's it. I mean, I guess they kind of had to do that. The mechanics of how they were going to get the finish, they got just about right. And it didn't look great that a load of, you know, mid-card heels came out to help mankind. It didn't really fit the severity of the situation. But as I say, they they wanted to fill in the grave site to get the thing fully sorted. And that was going to take a lot of time. And it did anyway, even with about six people, because Bearer started helping as well. Mankind started shoveling with his hands. Even with about six people doing it, it took a while. Uh, Rory, uh, we've, we've praised quite rightly not only the brawl section of the match and the interaction with these two, but in ter- thoughts on the, the kind of post-match angle and the mechanics behind that? Yeah, so it, it, it kind of into what I was saying uh, just now, but... Undertaker needed to win a match in this feud, but you you want to keep it cooking as well. And but if if you just left it to mankind and uh, poor old Terry execution executioner mask Gordy, um, they'd prob they'd probably still be there now trying to fill in the graveside. Uh, and everybody there, it all it all I suppose it all fit their character alignment. Although what the hell Justin Hawk Bradshaw was doing there, God only knows. It was, uh, we, we need a third mid card heel to um, uh, stick 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 some. Uh, Stick some soil on the Undertaker. Justin, get out there, you know. <laughs> yeah, Bam Bam Bigelow and IRS weren't available. Um, <laughs> and has anyone got uh, anyone got the Great Kabuki's number? Um, and Bundy. <laughs> <laughs> and it, yes, that that bit went on for an awful long time, but it, it had to go on for an awful long time because you're not going to get that ending shot without the Undertaker being completely buried. And I'll come to think of it, it would be really good if it was just a, a, a load of people that Undertaker have beaten down the years, like you know, Giant Gonzalez and Bundy and like all the, all, uh, yeah, all those, all these jobs like Karma. Yoko's still under contract. Yeah, could have done that as well. All these, like, f- forget bringing out your own undercard. Bringing out, like, that would have been far stronger. Now, admittedly, you might have to fly, in, uh, you know, Giant Gonzalez into. uh into Indianapolis and Yokozuna, I don't think it was in the building either. Um, but that would have made a little bit more sense, even for a one night thing. But yeah, it was a bit clunky. Uh, Eric's uh, same question. I was watching this and I was thinking nobody really stood up in the grave. They didn't really use the grave very much itself until you know a couple teaser spots and then at the very end. The grave need to be as deep as it was even. I know we're talking about practical things here, but if that grave had been even a foot or two more shallow, that ending would have been a lot more, uh, would have been a lot smoother. And, and I think there would have been less time wasted on having all these mid-card heels come out and try to bury the Undertaker. Uh, the other thing is, we're not gonna get, Terry Gordy, what, why do we need him in this feud? Why, why, the, the man, mankind has two, you know, rel- you know, as far as heels and WWF go, has two relatively clean wins over the Undertaker, and 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 here he may have lost, but he clearly, you know, came out the uh, on the better end of it than the Undertaker. Does he need somebody to come in and help him with the Undertaker, especially somebody like Terry Gordy? I mean, come on now. Yeah, unless they're going to reform the Miracle Violence Connection too, it's really not going to work. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, the Gordy thing is a bit strange. I'm guessing they just think we need someone for Undertaker to beat in the meantime. But, I mean, anyone could do that. That's not going to be the Survivor Series match, though, is it? God help us. I mean, Hart could do that. Like, you know, <laughs> are we talking about that? Anyway, anyway, anyway. Uh, yeah, uh, Rory, overall thoughts on this show and a score rating out of 10. 
Um, as is so often the case, um, listening to us uh, uh, talk through uh, the, the show match by match, I've actually got, gone off it slightly from my uh, my original viewpoint, but it still broadly stands that this was a, a very quick, um, it flew by two hours uh, watching of B-level uh, WWF professional wrestling. Nothing on here is going to change the world. There'll be nothing really on here we'll be talking about even a few months' time, let alone a few years' time. But it was one of those events where you can just stick it on, turn your brain off, don't go expect anything fantastic, and you feel it a couple of hours and no real harm has been done. And considering how poor a lot of the WWF pay-per-views, especially in your houses, have been this year, I'm going to take that. So I'm going to go for a flat, just over average, five and a half out of ten. The mildest of mild recommendations. But if you did choose to sit down and watch it, you wouldn't be hurting yourself too much. Eric? I was more critical about this show uh, when we were giving our initial thoughts than I was after we reviewed it. So I'm going to I'm gonna do what less often happens here and actually give a higher rating than, than I had initially intended, only because, you know, my... The main event was 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 pretty good, and and these Undertaker and Mankind, they put on a good show. I don't care what the gimmick is, I don't care how preposterous it might be. The, it, it was the it was a great half an hour, you know, twenty five minute segment. Austin Helmsley was a good match. If you turn the sound down or turn it off uh, to get away from the JR stuff, I think that improves. Owen Bulldog Guns, we talked about it. I'm gonna go five out of ten. I think this was a you know. A, Standard average show, definitely brought up by the main event. Without that, it would have been two out of ten. But I think Foley and Mankind, or I'm sorry, uh, Foley and, and Undertaker do so well together that they can bring up any show, and they did that here. Yeah, I, I'm with you both. I've got five and a half as well, uh, just right in the middle, really. Um, the, yeah, the the main event, we should be clear. I don't think the main event was actually as good as we perhaps made out. I think we were more kind of praising what, what kind of became of the main event in terms of it and how well the, the characters mesh. For a while, it was a very good brawl, but it was never a very good brawl for any consistent length of time. Everything else on this show is pretty, you know, is up and down. Um the opener's okay. Um, once we get beyond the Jim Ross stuff and we start having a match between uh, Steve Austin and Hunter Hearst Helmsley, it does just about work. Uh, I could take or leave the rest. Uh, yeah, five and a half out of ten from me. We're all wondering if Bret Hart's going to retire. Bret Hart going to come back and answer the challenge of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Are you going to take a front office position? Are you going to make movies? Please tell us, what's in the future for Brett the Hitman Hart? And by the way, welcome back. Well, I missed everybody. I just want to say that uh, for the past couple of weeks or maybe a little more, I've had to deal with a lot of... Uh, a lot of things, and, uh, well, for one, there was a certain rival wrestling organization that, uh, all I could say is they made me a great offer, and they dealt with me with integrity in nothing but an honorable fashion, and I can't say anything bad about anything that they, uh, 
and how they represented themselves or me. And uh, I was faced with this incredibly tough dilemma that if I decide to go back to wrestling, whether I should in fact come back to the WWF or find new adventures somewhere else. Can't believe this is happening. I was a, it was about that long ago that I said these are my words, I think, that, I, that I'm not greedy for money. I'm greedy for respect. And until you actually have to step into my shoes and make that kind of a decision, when you get offered a, a, a great offer and you have to decide which one you're going to take. And I've done a lot of soul searching. You know, nobody has any idea how much soul searching I've done over this. But when it comes right down to it, to everything I've ever done and everything I ever plan on ever doing, I owe it all to my WWF fans. And I won't be going anywhere. The WWF, well, I'll be with the WWF forever. Whoa. We start Raw on August the 21st with the promise of an update on the Bret Hart's future. I'm presuming he's not here to announce his departure to WCW. Sid is out to face Owen Hart. The British Bulldog comes out to tend to a fallen Sid. Sid punches him, then threatens the chokeslam before Owen takes him out. Match, of course, ends up with the Bulldog getting involved when Sid is about to win. They double-team him until Shawn Michaels runs out to save Sid. I sense a tag match coming, don't you? Next up is the Smoking Guns versus the Godwins. Yes, there's a surprisingly loud reaction for the setup of the slot drop. Phineas pins Bart and the Godwins win clean. They're breaking up the guns sooner rather than later. Vince McMahon segues into a discussion about the Hall of Fame by saying that neither team will make it. I mean, he's right, but that's way to go talking about your three-time tag team champions. Entering the Hall of Fame are Pat Patterson, Superfly Jimmy Snucker and Vince McMahon Sr. We see Mr. Perfect warming up for action until Hunter Hearst Helmsley runs him over with one of those storage boxes the production equipment is put in. Brett Hart comes out to a fairly quiet reaction, actually. Brett said he's had to deal with a lot of things in the past couple of weeks, including saying he had a great offer from a, quote, certain rival wrestling organisation, and that he's had nothing bad to say about them. He says he will be with the WWF forever. Shawn Michaels beat him fair and square. I consider Shawn Michaels my opponent, not my enemy. But there's something about you that really bugs me. Brett says Shawn is younger, maybe more popular, maybe a bit cuter too. But there's two things Shawn won't ever be, as tough or as smart. He said he's decided to accept the challenge of the best wrestler in the WWF today. With that, we cut backstage, seeing a number of talents watching on the monitor. Brett says that Survivor Series he will face Stone Cold Steve Austin. Brian Pillman is giddy with excitement. Austin turned round to give him the great glare. I might be a little bit rusty, but we'll see who kicks whose ass at Madison Square Garden. 
Brett says one thing that's been missing from the WWF in the past six months. It's him, which gets a pop from the crowd. An almost too excited laugh from Vince McMahon. Brett then says there's a boy in Canada who got sick. Brett was his hero. Brett says he promised the boy that if he would pull out of the illness, then he would come out of retirement for him. And when he said that, he seemed to perk up. The story has a sad ending. The little boy was his nephew who passed away. I can't dance and I don't pose well for girly books, but I am the best there is, the best there was and the best there ever will be. And I'm back. We come out for the main event. Mr. Perfect shouts at Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Grilla Monsoon says Perfect will not be allowed to wrestle. Perfect says Mark Merrow will go in his place, but Helmsley says he wasn't here to face Merrow. Gorilla agrees. He says Hunter can go to the back. That is until they decide it's going to be a title match. Merrow shakes for a plancher, but Hunter pulls Sable into harm's way, so he stops, then Sable slaps Hunter. Merrow gets crotched on the top rope, but manages to hit a lovely moonsault for a near fall. The ref takes a bump, Helmsley grabs a chair, Mr. Perfect stops him, for shame to hit him, and then he instead turns and levels Merrow with the chair. Hunter hits the pedigree and wins the title, and we end the show with Perfect and Helmsley embracing in the ring. We start Raw on October the 28th with a squash match for the real Double J, Jesse James. That doesn't stop Vincent Mann calling him Jeff Jarrett, mind. James makes light work of Salvatore Sincere. Do you remember when he was headlining Raw against The Undertaker not so long ago? Steve Austin cuts off Doc Hendricks promoting the Hall of Fame. That was quite good. Austin wants to know why Bret Hart is live in Calgary and yet he had to fly all the way to the studio. We cut to a commercial with Austin rejecting having makeup applied to him. Wildman Mark Marrow phones in promoting his Survivor Series match during a match between Crush and Aldo Montoya. Crush does a press slam over the top to the floor and gives it a big celebration. Jim Ross says Farouk has sought the legal advice of Clarence Mason and now he'll be managing him. Crush wins with a heart punch. He then picks the security guard out of the crowd and levels him with a big boot. We see a clip from Superstars. Mr. Perfect has been suspended indefinitely by Gorilla Monsoon. As we cut to commercial, who's getting increasingly annoyed at being cut off by whenever they come to him. Austin really not giving a fuck is really fun to watch. Come back from commercial and it seems like Austin has a direct line into the feed as he cuts off Vince McMahon announcing next week they'll be at the home of Brian Pillman. Austin is pretty pissed off at that. We then cut to footage of Superstars. Pillman is interviewing Austin. Pillman ends it by saying, Austin against the best there was, the best there is, and with that Austin attack Pillman and end up hitting him with a chair. We then see Austin cutting off the ambulance before apparently managing to throw the keys away. Austin was great in this interview exchange with Vince. He says he's going to make a lot of money from his match with Bret Hart, but he'd just as soon do it for free. Bart Gunn comes out to George Act with Billy Gunn during Billy's victory over Billy Joe Floyd. Sonny is on commentary, so it looks like the whole thing isn't over yet. We get a split screen with Bret Hart and Austin. Bret calls Steve a great worker. Austin cuts him off and says, Basically, you're saying I'm afraid Stone Cold is going to kick my ass. Austin's facials while Bret is speaking are really, really good. He says... Austin says, win, lose or draw, it ain't over. You're never going to get through with Steve Austin. You're going to have to kill me first. Brett says, that's why I'm the excellence of execution. You want to wear a hood when you get assassinated? Austin calls himself the best there is, the best there was and the best there ever will be. And he ends the segment by throwing a production assistant into a ladder and smashing up a TV monitor. 
the best segment in Raw in, well, I actually have no idea how long. The main event is Shawn Michaels versus the British Bulldog with Owen Hart on commentary. Next week, next week they're moving Raw to a 7.57 start time, both an hour earlier and, critically, three minutes earlier than Nitro starts. Pack a lot more story in. Bulldog threatens to walk out in the midst of a sea of HBK chants. They say the police have been called on Austin. Pretty good match this. Michaels goes for an elbow drop after a body slam, then sets for a switch in music until Owen grabs Holly's leg and forces the DQ. Here comes Sid. Why do I get the feeling fans would rather see this as a tag match at the pay-per-view? Anyway, Sid inadvertently elbows Sean during the melee and once they've dealt with that they square off. Owen grabs the mic and somewhat randomly offers up a tag title shot for the pair. Can't really work that one out but that will appear on Raw next month. We cut back to the WWF studio. Austin is mouthing off at another security official. That isn't he. Walks outside and gets confronted by police as we go off the air. Now I want to address why I left in the first place. You know, people wonder if I left because maybe I'm, maybe I'm a sore loser. Maybe I am. <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. Shawn Michaels. The World Wrestling Federation champion, I want to make something very clear, because it might not have seemed like it at the time, but Shawn Michaels beat me fair and square right in the middle of the ring, and there's no excuses for it. I might not be real thrilled about it, but I knew when I climbed back through the ropes after that 60-minute match, I knew what was at stake, and I lost, and I have no excuse for it. You know, I I consider Shawn Michaels my opponent, not my enemy. But Shawn Michaels, there's just something about you that really bugs me. Something about you that bugs me. Shawn Michaels, you might be a little younger than I am. You might be a little more, you might even be a little more popular. Popular. Well, there's people out there that might think that Shawn Michaels is even a little bit cuter than I am. (laughs) Shawn Michaels is a great wrestler and he's done a great job as champion. But there's two things that Shawn Michaels will never, ever be. He will never, ever be as tough as me. All due respect. And he will never, ever be as smart as me. so certain I would concur with. I think Richard Nixon said it best. And again, it may be true. You learn from defeat and you come back and you beat him the next time. Which is why I've decided to accept the challenge of the best wrestler in the WWF today and in the Survivor Series I will face Stone Cold Steve Austin. So we come out of the pay-per-view. Um, there, well, there, there's actually a couple of places we could start, but we'll start on the night after. Um, the night where Bret Hart 
came out and the promo that you would have heard probably part of it. I don't think I would have played all of it. Um, but part of the promo you would have just heard was Bret Hart announcing that he'd, uh, re-signed with the WWF. Um, announced, you know, as I say, I kind of think it's new. It's kind of like a shoot promo and he came out. It said, I, you know, he didn't mention WCW by name, but I, I imagine that 99% of the people watching got the, got what he was on about. Um, but he came out and said, I received a great offer from a, a rival wrestling organization. Um, you know, and he, he even kind of praised them, which was interesting as well in terms of praising kind of their treatment of him. Um, went through all of the positives and negatives, the why, the what for, mentioned the bit about his, his nephew passing away, which is a real touching moment down the, uh, down the stretch in that promo. Um, Rory, we'll start with what aired on television before we talk about the the, the mechanics and the logistics of, of of what's happened and what's been signed. Um, but a, uh, a a pretty good promo, I thought. You know, in terms of significant stuff on Raw, we don't get a lot like this. Um, and because you know, oftentimes if you're going to try and do something like this, the best thing, best way about it is just to be honest. Bret Hart being honest about exactly what the situation was was quite compelling television. It was, and I, I think they had to do that. I mean, uh, we said in the news that it was uh, a virtual shoot, and certainly for the first um, uh, three or four minutes when he was talking about uh, his contract offers, that's what it was. He said that WCW made him a great offer, which uh, which they certainly did. And he also said, he also, this is the first time this has ever happened, he, without obviously without mentioning, mentioning them by name, actually praised WCW or WWF television, saying that they handled him with, uh, with respect, etc., etc. I thought that was nice. But they had to do that. I mean, in the brief inset pieces we've had with Brett throughout the year, uh, with the tours of Germany and the Wrestle Vessel and, uh, and all the rest of it, they've kind of semi-alluded to him possibly looking elsewhere without really saying so. Here they rightly went a little bit further with it. Because I think it would have been uh, insulting the intelligence of most people if they hadn't. And uh, because it was so real, I think Brett handled it on the mic really well. We we rag on him for his uh, his promos and his over-reliance on cliches a lot. And I think that's justified. But here, this was uh, Brett Hart talking as Brett Hart. And I believe him. I, I believe him and I believe him now when he said that... Uh, He's a WWF guy. It's, it's, it's where he belongs. It's, it's where we all, it's where we all recognize him. It's where we all will continue to recognize him. And just, just based on that, based on the promo alone, uh, I think he brought that across, uh, brought that across really nicely. So it was a good, actually quite touching and very, very real moment, uh, which was not just something shooty just for the sake of getting the sheets talking. They had to get as close to reality as they could because anything else would have just been, uh, just turning their backs on a real situation. And I think it came across really well. So on, on the promo side of things, I thought this was great, great work from Brett and for the WWF for letting him have the opportunity to basically express his real feelings and uh, kudos to everybody involved. Eric? You know, Brett shoots that WCW offered him this sweet deal and he says that they treated him with integrity and with respect. And Vince says, quote, I can't believe this is happening on commentary. <laughs> and then with a little bit of hindsight and context, we talk about the, we'll talk about this later, I think, but on Livewire, uh, on the fifth of the month, Vince 
basically said WCW was an organization that lacked any sort of business ethics, morals, <laughs> any sort of acumen whatsoever. Well, this is so, pro wrestling. That can be true, and Brett can still think he's been treated with respect. Very fair, Bob. Very fair. In kayfabe terms, you're absolutely right. And probably even in shoot, I'm sure Bischoff gave him. And I and I know from the from reading the the dirt sheets that Bischoff, you know, catered every to every whim. And Brett probably, you know, was closer to signing with WCW than any of us even realize. That said, you know, are we sure this was a good promo? There was a lot of good information in it. There was a lot of really enlightening things about the process, about where we are in 1996, you know, in terms of wrestling rivalries. But Brett, you know, I don't think his pulse rate even went up to resting during this entire promo. It was good information, but he did not inspire me that he was here to become the WWF's, you know, great champion that he that he wants to be. So I think the information was good. I think, you know, pulling back the curtain a little bit and making it kind of the work shoot information, you know, the work shoot promo that it was with Vince reacting probably as Vince would as Vince McMahon, the chairman, and not Vince McMahon, the commentator. But Brett was not particularly inspiring in terms of uh, energy, in terms of uh, charisma in this promo. So I don't know that this was a good promo. I think it was just necessary to move things along and get past the will Brett stay or will he leave. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, It was, by WWF standards, a very long in-ring promo. Um, And Brett's not the kind of guy that's going to be able to carry that segment. And there were kind of sound bites that were really good, but he took a long while to get to those. Um, I think the the story about his nephew, you know, you don't want to trivialise it, but it was probably needed for the sake of the promo. You're right, it did feel a bit wooden up until that point. Like, he, he kind of spoke about it, and, and the way he was talking, it was like, well, why didn't you sign with WCW? Like, you don't sound that happy about it. Um, he didn't sound that happy about it at, the, at any point, which was kind of interesting as well. Um, but, yeah, like, it, it, it was almost like, I, I almost wonder, they're like, well, shit, we need to try and take some, you know, spikes out of Nitro's numbers. This needs to go more than three or four minutes. But I don't think it did. Um, but yeah, it, it, it could have been worse. I think it's interesting. We've seen this quite a lot this year that they took a, a very, very real approach to the, you know, a, a very, very real solution to kind of presenting it. Um, just have Brett go out there. I'm sure to an extent that's what he wanted to do. I'm sure Brett, you know, values his fans enough where he, he'd tell them the truth. And I'm sure in, as much as on commentary Vince said, I can't believe this is happening, I'm sure in a way Vince kind of thought, well, it doesn't look that bad if our guy talks up how much he was offered by the opposition but ended up staying. That says that implies something, but it's not ideal. Um, but it was there. Um, Eric, let, let's just talk about the, the actual situation itself away from, away from television. A 20-year contract in... In many ways, I think the contract Vincent Mann wanted Hulk Hogan to sign about four or five years ago. Um, the the Babe Ruth was was, was the what, what Babe Ruth of the WWF was. I think what Vince wanted Hulk Hogan to become. He's got that now with Bret Hart. Um, Bret Hart to see out his career with the WWF. I think it's a good thing. But I think Dave Meltzer said, you know, if if you were talking about WWF matching WCW's offer or getting close to it, you're talking about like 5% of their turnover for a year, 
which is a lot, and, and it's not that high. It's a bit lower, and to an extent, I think it was said that some of it, some of the deal was stuff in uh, that added up to you know 1.5 million a year, that kind of thing. But it's a lot to put on a guy that might have had his best years behind him. Bob, if I'm Brett's advisor, if I'm Brett's attorney, and I have a little bit of experience in this in this area. A 20-year contract is almost, it's not worth the paper it's printed on. I mean, he's a 40-year-old, 39, 40-year-old professional wrestler. You know, the terms of the contract are vague, I believe, at this point, but I would imagine it's going to have some high numbers at the beginning and the, the, the salaries are going to de-escalate as his role de-escalates, you know, from probably a backstage agent to an ambassador to, I don't know, whatever Pat Patterson is up to these days. I, I don't see why... From a financial standpoint, Brett would take this 20-year contract that takes the same money, basically, that he would be making in WCW and spreads it over such a long time. And and there's just no way. There's never been a 20-year contract in the history of professional sports and the history of professional wrestling that's ever been seen through. It's just idiotic from a, from a realistic standpoint. So I don't know where this is going. I don't know if Brett had this twinge of, of loyalty to Vince. I don't know why he would at this point. Um, but it just – this if this goes well, and if Brett is still a WWF employee in 2016 and he's he's done that without any sort of, of, of break or any sort of uh, – it's just I, I'm, I'll give up my bar license – there. We'll, we'll come back to you in 20 years time and find out if that happens Rory Please do. I've just made a note of that um, for, for me uh, Bret Hart signing a 20 year contract with the WWF is the ultimate blessing and a curse uh, blessing from a very selfish point of view uh, I'm delighted to see him, see him back with WWF in the ring because from both a work rate and a star power uh, point of view boy did the WWF need him right now um, we've discussed it many many times pretty much ever since uh he walked out of the Anaheim Pond back in March. Uh, you've got Sean, you've got Owen. He's still got Owen. I'm, I'm going to say that anyway. <laughs> you've got I a few others. You. And then, thank you. Then the drop-off is uh, is pretty pretty large, and you need Brett in there, both name value and in-ring quality value. So in that respect, the WWF need him, and I've no doubt as much against Austin next month in particular is going to be great. However. A 20-year contract, that is, in every sense of the word, a huge liability. You are making yourself a hostage to fortune there, and no mistake. Um, so a week is a long time in politics. 20 years is an ultimate eternity in any, in any, way, in any oh. form of life. Um, a day is a long time in the, in the world of professional wrestling. Vince is tying himself into... Who knows what? This is an absolute leap into the unknown. Has anybody in any in any form of employment ever been given a 20-year contract for anything before? Um, I don't even know that it's enforceable, frankly. <laughs> there, you, there you go. There you go. It's tight. It's completely tying them in. And it's just just think about it when they get the the, the numbers through. I, I don't know when they have their, their cords, leads or whatever. Uh, merchandise. Yeah, we got this, man. Uh, ticket sales, we've got this one. Oh, don't forget, you've got to take off Brett's contract for... Oh, yes, so, so there, there we go. That's that's another 5% written off straight away. And, I mean, I'm no... I'm no, uh, I'm no number cruncher. I'm no legal beagle. But for me, this... From a business standpoint, this is Vince panicking, isn't it? 
he's, he's signing him for 20 years just to be absolutely certain that there's no chance of WCW snapping him up. Well, I mean, um, I, I just suspect... The, I, desperate men do desperate things. I just suspect that, you know, like, I think Eric's kind of right. I, you know, this is a 20-year contract, but it, it isn't. Like, there's... There's no way, there's no way he signed that deal and there's no break clause in, I don't know, five years. There's, there's probably break clause before that. Like, I just kind of think it was, I see it more of a gesture as anything else. In that it's clear that Vince, clear both sides knew WCW were making a far better offer. It's clear. And it's clear from what Brett says and, and, and more pertinently from what he did. That the money wasn't all that important because if it was, he'd be on Nitro next week. But I think in Brett's mind, he just wanted to be shown that he was cared about and he wanted Vince to do something for him that he wouldn't do for anyone else. And Vince had the same kind of thought. And then it was like, well, okay, well, how do we package this up in a way that isn't just a complete insult because they couldn't offer him a three-year deal at a quarter of the price. That doesn't look good, particularly as I get the feeling that WCW, if they'd have worked out, might have even gone higher. They were, they were getting pretty close. I just get the feeling it was more Vincent Mann needed to show Bret Hart that Bret Hart meant a lot to the WWF. And signing an unprecedented contract with a, you know, a retirement plan, effectively was a way of doing that. Right. And Bret Hart just wanted to be told that you mean a lot to us. I don't think this is, you know, I don't think we're going to be sat here in 2010 and thinking, well, there's six years left to go on this still. <laughs> like, I don't I don't think it's going to be like that. I don't think, like, it's going to, you know, and, you know, there's other things as well, like a, a $14 million might not be worth that much in 20 years' time. Inflation, economy, shit happens. Like, you know... That you know, you, I don't know. We haven't seen the we haven't seen the specifics of it. I just I think it was more of a gesture than it was an actual thing. I don't think it's the case of if both sides were unhappy in three years that they're going to make them enforce it. I suspect there's breaks. Eric, any Eric, any more thoughts on that? Well, Bob, you know, cut me off. I'm going too long here, but I I, I kind of sketched this out from not from a, a, a the contract standpoint, but from a WWF needs Brett standpoint. So. Uh, Here's what I've come up with. You know, we have Sean, who's the top heel or the top face, obviously, but he has some clear reliability issues, and those those could rear their ugly head whenever, you know, whenever they might. Vader and Sid, we've talked about that. Sid might be on the upward trajectory. Vader's clearly not. But do we really see WWF running with Sid as a you know as a long term solution to their problems? Austin and Helmsley are. Both, in my opinion, both have bright futures. Austin more than Helmsley, but they're months or even years away from 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 being the torch holders if they ever aspire to those positions. Um, Undertaker and Mankind—they're both, you know, too big of characters, in my opinion, to to be the face of the company. And I don't see the belt being put on either of them anytime soon. Then you have a huge drop off, and then you have Owen and Bulldog, and we've talked about the the problems with them even. And then what do you have? So other than Shawn Michaels, you don't have anybody else who's capable of carrying the belt for any period of time. With that in mind, WWF absolutely needs Brett. And, and I think Vince is, realizes that. And, and which is why I think he was so relieved to get this, this deal done. We'll see where it goes, but 
uh, you know, Brett comes into a situation where he absolutely has the, the upper hand, uh, in, in any sort of creative and financial bargaining power because the WW, and Mr. Perfect, by the way, we learn is probably not going to wrestle. So WWF has an absolute dearth of upper card talent. Brett fills that role nicely and he took advantage of it and good for him. Rory, any more? In October 1996, in the absolute here and now, the WWS need for Bret Hart is is extremely great, uh, as we alluded to earlier. But I'm, I'm, I'm going to push this point a bit more. Does Vince really want him around for 20 years, break clause or no break clause? Um, does he does he really does he have 20 years worth of plans for Bret Hart? Is, is he? Can you really see? Well, I don't know that Bret Hart's going to be wrestling at 55. Sure, sure. I, I, oh, Bret's boy. probably got. At, at the absolute top echelon, and you could argue, as you said, Bob, that maybe, just maybe, his absolute super best is. I mean, I still think he's got some great matches left in him. Don't get me wrong, but I think his absolute super worker run probably is behind him now. But let's face it, he's still, you know, Bret Hart. I mean, Flair, Flair's forty six, and he's just starting to fall yeah. off that cliff in WCW. No, in it, his body's, you know, his body's catching up with him. He's out for with an injury at the moment, etc., etc. So Brett's lived a much healthier life than Flair, so well, I can see true. Brett. I can see Brett going to fifty easily, but not as the level he was at thirty-five. No, no way. No, I, I, and more importantly, not at the frequency. Like if Brett's going at fifty, he's wrestling three times a year. Sure. More, more power to him. But I don't think we're going to be talking about Bret Hart wrestling in WWF main events in 2007. I think we're okay. Um, I think but, we're okay. But, but then, then don't sign him. Don't sign him for 20 years. Then I mean, well, but, but, they, but this is a this is the Babe Ruth contract that Vince McMahon wanted Hulk Hogan to sign, or a, a version of. It was. It's a contract that whether you retire at 45 or 52, we got you covered. And then as it winds down, we just move you into a backstage role and there's no doubts, there's no wires, there's no what falls. You're just signing with us for life. And you know, who knows what Vince might have even offered Hogan had they ever got that far. This isn't, this isn't, yeah, Bret Hart is, uh, uh, I, Bret Hart is not really wrestling when he's 59, okay? I'm pretty oh, happy with yeah. that. Yeah. I'm pretty happy with that. Like then, this isn't a 20 year wrestling contract. Like oh. Dave Meltzer said, it's kind of like a three year wrestling contract and then a 17 year backstage thing. It's probably more fluid than that. It's basically, we want to keep you around for as long as you're good and you can work. And then we'll slowly transition you away from that role into a non televised, maybe, well, maybe televised, but a non wrestling role. And that's it. And then it just runs like that. And I, I think the, the, the slight kicker and the slight thing where this makes sense of the long term deal is that, it would, if Bret Hart moved away from the ring, it would overpay him as a road agent, as someone who worked behind the scenes. I think there is at least that. Karen Roy. I do quite like the idea of Bret Hart as a road agent, actually. I think he's got a lot to, as the old saying goes, uh, teach the young guys. But I know this is a rather flippant point, but I just can't see, say, in 10 years' time, you know, Bret Hart doing a, a Rene Goulet, a Tony Gray thing, just appearing to break up the occasional brawl in the aisle. I just, I just can't see that happening, quite frankly. <laughs> You're probably right. You're probably but, um, right. As I say, I really, 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 because I'm a, I'm a total Brett Mark, I don't care who knows it, just hope that Vince knows what he's doing here and he hasn't reacted in too much of a panicked fashion, which is what I fear. But time, because there's lots of it to go here, time will tell. 
Scott Visions of Bret Hart in October 2016, just in the in the offices in Connecticut, like counting down the days and going, it's almost over. Yeah, on, on like 200 grand a year in an office job, like you oh. know, just just going, you know, it's almost done. I'm almost, I'm almost free. I, I, I don't think that's going to be it somehow. I think if you ask me to uh, put some money out now, I'd probably bet against that. Anyway, speaking of Bret Hart, let's move forward a week. Say that the reason you took so long in making up your mind to come back to action here in the World Wrestling Federation, well, there are a number of reasons, but principal among them is that you knew that Steve Austin was the man who has challenged you. And my question is whether or not is that one of the reasons why you were reticent to, to make up your mind? No, not at all. I, I think what you're looking at, you're looking at 12 years, and if you really want to add on uh, even more years than that, you can, because I've grown up with wrestling uh, my whole life. And you're looking at 12 years without any kind of a break of yeah. being physically mauled by uh, giants and uh, great wrestlers for years and years and years. And uh, it, just t- it just took its toll. Yeah. And uh, I'll be the first one to say that Steve Austin... Uh, Stone Cold is a, is a, is a great wrestler. And, uh, I, I knew immediately when, upon seeing him that, that I was going to be dealing with, uh, a very, very tough wrestler. But as far as, he had nothing to do with my decision to step back from wrestling. Basically, basically loosely translated, you're saying, yes, Vince, I'm afraid Stone Cold is going to kick my ass. That's what you're saying. That's not what you're saying, is it, Brad? Yeah, somehow you, you need to, um, Clean that up a bit. Yeah, I think. As so. far as you uh, kicking my ass, there you uh, go. You uh, maybe should think twice about that. I don't know if you got what it takes to kick my ass. I've actually recuperated. <laughs> I've been off. I'm ready for this yeah, match. But Brett, if I may, I'm better than I've ever been. Sure. If I can ask you this, what about the the fact that that you have not been in the ring for some six months, and there must be some ring rust? It, would it not have been more wise for you to accept a match with? with a lesser individual rather than Stone Cold Steve Austin. Right. Answer! You know, uh, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see it that way. I mean, sure, there might be a little ring rust. Maybe there won't be. No one's going to know till I get in the ring how good or bad uh, the, the five months off has affected my wrestling style. But uh, I, I don't really care. I, I want to go in and I want to accomplish a lot of things in the World Wrestling Federation starting right now. And what better way to do it than take on Stone Cold, who I think, and I said it before on my live interview, and I'll say it again right now, is the best wrestler in the World Wrestling Federation until November 17th. But if, if Steve Austin defeats you, I mean, obviously this man has great confidence in himself. He would not have challenged you. He's trying to make a name for himself. This is like a gunslinger type situation where, indeed, you've got a reputation. He wants to live off of your reputation, and if he defeats you in Madison Square Garden, the question is then, will you continue your comeback here in the WWF? Well, I mean, that's a very likely possibility, and uh, you know what? I've thought about that, and uh, I'm willing to accept whatever happens in that match, you know, and if I come up short, then I'm just going to get right back up on my horse like a gunfighter, and... uh, you know, well, see, here's the, no, here's the deal. Shut up. Here's the deal. Win, lose, draw, Brett. It ain't over. It ain't over. Thing? You're never going to get through with Stone Cold Steve Austin. You're going to have to kill me first, son. And that's the bottom line. And it's the truth. Win, lose, or draw, right. I will always be on your ass. Well, that's why I'm the excellence of execution. Yeah, yeah, whatever. You wear a hood while you get assassinated or what? Uh-huh. 
I'm the best there is, I'm the best there was, and I'm the best there ever will be, and you're going to find that out firsthand, son. Say something. Uh, you know, you know, everyone thinks that because I'm coming back that I have this built-up impression in my head that I'm going to clean up the WWF. I, I know better than anyone else that it's going to be a real right. hard job. And, Brett, uh, we thank see, you so much for joining us. We're, it's we're Austin's house and, now. All right, thank you very much for joining us. Brett the Hitman. No, 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 no. You can tell him to go kiss off, but I've been here all night, and I ain't leaving yet. And you can stop counting me down, because I done told you once, son. We got a damn problem. Hey, 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 wait a minute. No more. That ain't going to work. It's a production assistant. No, we ain't through that by a long shot. You don't count me down. What is this? Nobody counts me down. You want your precious miners? You think it's all, ah! all fun and games for Stone Cold? It ain't. It ain't. It ain't fun and games for Stone Cold. Uh, the one thing that Bret Hart's return did confirm was that he'll be wrestling uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin at Survivor Series. So obviously, I actually got to start building this frigging thing. So on October the 28th, the rule that not that many people watched, 2.0 rating, uh, they had Austin in a studio, um, so they flew him in somewhere, uh, into Connecticut, presumably, and Bret Hart uh, in his home in Calgary. Um, and Bret Hart did a very bog-standard Bret Hart, sat on a sofa. Yeah, we talk about Bret rambling a bit and not really hitting many points on Raw on the week before. He kind of did the same again. Um, but this time, he had a picture-in-picture, picture, or a, a split-screen even, uh, with Steve Austin acting his live feed, acting like a bit of a dick. Um, and Eric, Steve Austin acting like a bit of a dick that doesn't really give a fuck. It, as it turns out, he's very, very compelling. Why was he the ringmaster for a year? This well, is well, he, he was the ringmaster for about eight weeks. Well, fair, fair. But what, he's been in the, he's been in the Fed since late 95, right? December 95? Very, 95. very late 95, yeah. Right, right. And so here we are in October 96, and, you know, aside from the King of the Ring, 96 promo that, you know, everybody's familiar with. Where, where's this been? And, and, and if this has been something that, that, that Steve Austin, Steve Williams, the, the, the person has been capable of this whole time, why haven't they pulled the trigger on it much sooner? This was fantastic. This was the best episode of Raw in a very long time. And he just looked like an absolute boss. We know they watch well. All right, we so, some of those guys are clearly watching ECW Hardcore TV to one degree right. or another backstage. Right, you go back from end of September through mid December nineteen ninety five. Go back and listen to our ECW podcast from that run. It wasn't quite like this, but it was about eighty ninety percent match. Yes, and, and this this version of of Steve Austin is available in ECW tape form. It does exist in some way, shape or form. But clearly they weren't watching it, or clearly more the point, the right people weren't watching it. Because talent relations and people that, you know, talent identification, that kind of thing, there can be a difference between that and just Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon has the ultimate say over things, etc., etc. And I get the feeling that the people that identified Steve Austin, Jim Ross was probably one of them. There were probably a couple of others. Um, probably knew more about Austin's strengths that Vincent Mann did. And Vincent Mann just went, ah, we've got room for a mid-card role. You tell me this guy can work. Let's put him in there. And then it slowly kind of evolved. I think, Eric, I think that's what happened. I wish they would have told Vince to hit the streets in that outfit if, if, if that was his opinion the entire time. Because... You know, Austin here is just amazing. And 
he makes Brett look like, you know, they're not on the same level. Brett's sitting there with a, you know, with a cat on his lap and his kids. And, and maybe that, I'm sure that's designed because Brett's the established face. He's the established face of the company, etc. You know, it's, it's meant to make Brett seem like your standard. And then you have Austin who's, who's unlike anybody we've seen so far that I can remember to the extent of his, of his in, intensity, uh, to the extent of his brashness and his language. And he just clowned Brett in that picture in picture they did. And it, it, it was almost Austin, embarrassing to watch. Exactly. And if, and if Austin wasn't a star on October 27th, he was a star on October 28th. Now what they do with that, who knows? It's unfathomable that Austin would go over Brett. That's not going to happen. But if they can make Austin look like a, a compelling challenger to multiple time heavyweight champion Bret Hart, then, then they can really speed up Austin's progression to the, you know, near the top of the card. Hopefully they don't screw this up. Roy? Uh, I'm a Bret Hart mark, as I said five minutes ago, but uh, I call the spade a spade. And I'm very glad indeed, actually, that this promo uh, between the two of them was done via video link rather than, say, in the ring. Because if it had been done in the ring, Austin would have killed Brett off there and then. Yep. Uh, I take no pleasure in saying that, but it's absolutely true. The gulf between them here was mind-numbingly huge. Austin smoked him. Brett, uh, Brett just looked like a throwback to bygone age. Now, he sat there uh, on a on an easy chair in his house, and he's got... Uh, cats running up, he's got his children there, all very nicey, nicey, nice. yeah, okay, people's hero, everybody loves me, da di da di da and here's Austin just, even when Austin wasn't speaking, just his facial expression sold everything, he sold anger, he sold confidence, he even sold pity, and when, when he started speaking, I mean, it was just game over there, he just destroyed Brett off the bat, it was like saying, yeah, whatever, mate. I'm just going to kick your ass in a few weeks, and that's what's going to happen. Okay, deal with it. You know, that's whether we like it or not. That's how a lot of real people speak. And Austin's a heel. He's got to stay a heel for a very, very long time. But if they let him be like this, he's going to become a very easy person for people to relate to, whether you like him or whether you don't like him. And it's something we don't see often enough. Definitely not in the WWF. Certainly not in the 1990s WWF. Of uh, a character, and Stone Cold Steve Austin is a character, make no mistake, but a character who, we, who is easily identifiable as a real-life person. We see that out on the streets every day. And with his own undoubted promo skills, which we did see in ECW, coupled with the fact that I think that he really legitimately still wants to prove himself in the Federation, I thought this was a sensational piece of work. Um, you could pick any line from it, you could pick any still image from it, and it would almost sell everything in its own right. Put it all together, you've got something very, very, very special. And uh, I'm going to say it now. This is, uh, I, I thought all, all bets are off for this one, but we might well have a late contender for promo of the year. And I think this is absolutely knocks into a cocked hat, the Austin 316 stuff. Um, this guy's a star. Well, and, 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 and he's got feud with Brett. He broke Pillman's ankle. He's got beef with Perfect. How many guys in WWF or even in any of this of, of WWF, ECW, WCW have the strength of character and the depth of character to have three separate feuds going at one time, and they're all compelling? Absolutely. That's brilliantly put. This might have been 
the best segment on Raw ever. Um, Struggling I mean, to think of a better one. Yep. I, I, I mean, I, I didn't. I didn't quite see the early three or four months of Raw. I probably picked it up around lucky, May, lucky, May, <laughs> May, <laughs> June, nineteen ninety-three, and like I'm trying to think of. Well, I mean, not you know, it'd be, it'd be difficult. It'd be like comparing currencies, like trying to compare you know, a, a, a wrestling match and a, a, an angle. Not that many wrestling matches on Raw stuck out in the last couple of years, anyway. But the uh, the only other, I, I, I don't think this is even really that close. But the only other evening segment from Raw I ever really remember was the Bob Backlund thing about two years ago, where you know that whole thing where Backlund put the WWF magazine writer in a chicken wing. Oh dear old, I did on Lou Ferrigno. That's the one. The other um, one that I, the other one that I would put in, and not 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 as a, a a true contender, but as up in that would be, you know, we've talked about it already. But the Sean Sid segment after WrestleMania 11, but this that that doesn't even come close to this. No, 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 no. and like, yeah, I mean, because there was the other thing. Because I think it wasn't just the yeah you know, the, the bit the the promo that I played. There was Austin did a lot beforehand as well, and there was a bit at the very end where Austin kind of sort of ended up getting arrested. We didn't quite see that bit. You know, I mean, to an extent, Brett, be careful what you wish for, because it, and, and and Eric, the one thing you say about why didn't this happen? I think it's quite clear that like this, this is all this is all fell into place in the Austin won King of the Ring because well, it looks like because Hunter Hearst Helmsley was going to win it, but it's clear in you know because if you if you're if you're laying out Steve Austin's first year, if you're planning Steve Austin and Bret Hart in November, you don't. You do something completely different in the ten months leading up to that. You don't have him winking in the ring and then do nothing for four or five months. It's pretty clear that Bret Hart asked for this as part of his return. I think and, that... and, and, and Bret called Austin the best wrestler in the WWF multiple yeah. times throughout a segment. So you're which absolutely is re- right. Bob. Which is really weird because yeah. nothing backs that up. Right. Like think about it. Right. What? 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 What rem- what has Austin achieved in the WWF to make Bret say that? Exactly. Nothing. And more the point, let's call it a shoot. What has Bret Hart seen as Steve Austin full stop to make him say that, other than he just knows he might be quite good? But anyway, the roundabout point I'm getting to is that Bret Hart asked for a prayer with Steve Austin, and Austin's clearly you know, got got a firework up his ass because he now he's worked out this is his big shot. Hart was pretty lucky that Austin only cut him off a few times at the end. Because that was a massacre, that promo exchange. In that Brett spoke for a while, Austin saved him. And that's, that we, let's, let's call it like it was. Brett was going nowhere with that promo. He didn't have a lot to say. And Austin just picked him off to the point where Brett went, Brett at one point went, you know, oh, do you want to put a hood on you when I assassinate you? And that was like, that was like, what does it, what does that mean? And it was like, that was it. Austin was just picking him apart. And Roy, you're right, the, the facial expressions were almost as good. Also, we can't convey that, in a, convey that in a podcast form. But Austin was just gurning the entire thing and just looking like pissed off and angry. And then the, the, the thing mercifully ends for the sake of Bret Hart's character. And then they do the thing with Austin throwing about the production man. And it was like, shit. Is, like it possi- this- is, yeah. is it possible that Brett, uh, that Brett purposefully or was told to purposefully hold back to let Austin flourish and develop as a character? Because I cannot see Vince McMahon and, and, and company 
seeing how poorly Brett came off in this promo and saying, oh, that's exactly, you know, that's not what we had planned. We, we didn't want Brett to come off as a, as a, as less than Stone Cold Steve Austin, and he completely did. Is there any indication that this, that this was specifically designed to get Austin over and to make Brett look like kind of an outdated face character? I suspect we'll be able to find that out in the next couple of weeks of television, depending on how well they respond with Brett. I think if they feel like they've done damage with, with, with how that came across, they will patch that back in in the next couple of weeks, I would have thought. And again, it is a bit of a shame. Best angle on Raw in three years, one of the lowest watch Raw's in three years. It is a bit of a shame. Rory, any more thoughts? Yeah, um, the problem is that obviously we know, we know they tape about 10,000 Raw's in every, in every taping. Um, <laughs> Brett, Brett doesn't actually uh, appear on any of the, the, the Raw's that are coming up, so they're going to have... I think they've got to try and shoot something between now and Survivor Series. Um, yeah, they're going to need a bit more than this. As good as this Brett, was, in, uh, I still, yeah, I still think uh, from a general out-and-out match build perspective, they need something else if they can. I agree with that, but I'm, I'm solely from Brett's perspective, they've got to try to do something else because uh, if there's nothing else we see or hear of this on Raw for the next uh, uh, two weeks about building this match, you know. The thing that's going to be fresh in our mind when they lock up is being absolutely destroyed by Steve Austin in that TV segment three weeks ago. Um, and I, I'd like to think that uh, the front office, Vince McMahon, etc., they know what Steve Austin can do on the mic. But I still think this was intended to be a, a, uh, a live via satellite, inverted commas, Back and forth that they like to do on Raw with the with the with the champion and challenger. It's a it's a well they've gone to a few times, but never anything remotely like this. And I think it caught everybody unawares. I think even Brett himself, from a, a legitimate uh, from a non kayfabe perspective, I don't think even he knew where this was going. And uh, I, it would probably take me twenty years to work out what the hell he was on about. With I could going to put a hood on you while I assassinate you. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Terry Gordy's going to help him. There probably yeah. wasn't. There probably there probably wasn't a, 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 a director there giving Brett uh, the the go home sign after that one. Rory, uh, we, we talk about there's. I think there's two more rules between now and Survivor Series. Yes, there are. Um, this match should go on last, right? I think so. I think uh, this match has got. Again, we still got a while to go, but this match has had the build, hasn't it? Um, well, you compare really it got... to Sid and Sean, and I know there's yes. a bit more of that to come. Sid and Sean, it's just two guys that like each other, bumping backs while they're brawling in the ring with someone else. It's like night yeah, and day. I, I don't think I. This is the match that's got the real momentum behind it, and I would say that this is the match that most people. If, if you if you ask them, you know, is it, is it this match or is it uh, is it Sid v Sean? They'd say this one. I think uh, the casual fans would want to say that. Uh, I think the Workrate fans would want to say that. Uh, I think the kids would, because uh, the boy Brett's coming back. Um, so I think uh, uh, Brett's popular in New York. I think the smart fans really want to see what Austin can do there. So I think this absolutely has to go on last. And, and um, Okay, guys, who's going to win? I think Brett goes over, but... And I guess Austin could go over in a... Austin could go over via any shape or means and set up a rematch, I guess. 
Um, the main reason I ask is because I don't see them stretching this out to WrestleMania and beyond because we've got to get to Brett v. Sean somehow. So whether they do Survivor Series and then a rematch at, say, the December pay-per-view, um, whether they trade wins there, then have the, uh, the blow-off match it, or I don't know, well, uh, SummerSlam next year or something. But, but um, Austin's got to come out of this feud, if it is a feud, with a real string to his butt. I think Austin taps so out I'm, of the I'm pretty sure the, it's I'm all pretty over, sure the isn't it? going over. If, yeah, yeah I, you can't. You can't. You can't. You can't if you're going to have Brett win, a but him tapping out in the middle of the ring to the sharpshooter. No, you can't do that. You simply cannot do that. I think. I think. Yeah. Thank you. I think you have to have. I think Brett goes over because you can't have. You can't have Brett coming back with this hero's welcome and then, and then, you know, immediately summarily losing, even to nefarious means. To, well, uh, you know, I say that and then I I doubt myself, but I think Brett goes over at Survivor Series. You know, December's, you know, going to be kind of a throwaway pay-per-view probably in your house. Maybe Austin goes over there, nefarious means, and they have the bluff. It's at Royal Rumble, which allows Brett to go on to, to Mania. I don't know how they would do that. Maybe Brett pulls double duty. Who knows? We'll see. But I think Brett, you know, Brett and Austin should trade wins for a little while at least because that's the only way to build Austin. If he just, you know, loses to Brett and then goes away, then I don't see what what this feud has accomplished. Well, particularly when you talk about him being in three different programs at the same time, Brian Pillman's injured and Mr. Perfect ain't wrestling. Right. So as good as Austin was at setting up those kind of, you know, three pronged uh, feuds, if he loses to Brett, he doesn't really have anywhere to go. No, exactly. Exactly. And then, so I think, I think maybe he doesn't beat Brett at Survivor Series, but he does beat Brett at some point within the next couple of months, which helps elevate him. And helps him look stronger. As far as who main events, I agree. This match should absolutely be the main event of Survivor Series. There's precedent that the not, that, that a championship match does not have to be the, the main event. You know, WrestleMania eight, SummerSlam ninety four. You know, God help us with Taker versus Taker. But the point is that that there is precedent for it. That said, would you like to be the road agent that tells WWF champion Shawn Michaels that he's not the main event of Survivor Series in Madison Square Garden? <laughs> Depends what I've got planned for Shawn Michaels that night. If, uh, if, if he's I, losing, yeah. would you like to be the guy that tells that? If, if I'm walking out to Shawn Michaels, oh, Shawn, you're losing. Oh, and it's not the main event. Right. Um. Yeah. Yeah, don't be surprised if Shawn is a little bit fucked off. If Yeah, yeah you're right. You're right. You're right. Um, that's a that's a nice conundrum. Anyway, we'll we'll see how all that plays out next month. I do have something to say to Arvid Johnson. He's had a great future in the WWF, and I wish him well in his other life. <laughs> Let me tell you something, son. First of all, I'm not taking nothing from you, Farouk. Okay, five time All American. You know he was right. No, he was number five on the Heisman Trophy list. Outman great, Trophy candidate. Great, outstanding athlete. Mm-hmm. Son, let me tell you something. That's great, but that ain't gonna stop me for one second from putting my foot in your ass. Okay, well, you understand okay. that? Hey, do you understand me, that? No, no, you understand. Do you that. understand that? You but let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. I'm not even mad at you. Like Tupac said, "Dog, I ain't mad at you." Because what you did, you woke me up. And now I know. Now I know. In the WWF, I gotta walk it alone. Now hey, I know I gotta watch my back. See, what you did, you helped me, son. You didn't even know it. Hey, bro, it ain't. It you ain't helped about, me. It ain't about being mad. It's about winning. And you know for yourself, we both have similar backgrounds. Raised in the streets, there are no oh, guidelines yeah. in the streets. Come on, all man. There are no rules. 
Hey, and like you said, man, when the uh, racism, when it gets into the ring, everybody runs up to me. How can you do that to another brother? If a brother is in that ring trying to de defeat me and to get what I am trying to obtain, I don't care what color he is. He can be clear for all I care. And uh, you were just another man. And that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. I ain't mad at you, dog. But once again, we must settle this. Whether it be in the ring or out the ring, it got to be settled. Because you know you're from the streets. I can't let you walk around, man, doing something like that to me. My reputation's on the line. You cannot embarrass me or the Purple Pack. Hey, you bro, got to pay. Let have them sit when the match is set and the stage is set. All of that hey, wait, I, where you at? I come now. Where you at now? You at home? I come to your house. You know, all that'll come to life. And here I'll come here. to your house tonight. You know what? You should have Lawrence Welk on that right. show this morning and playing violins, all those sob stories I hear. What, what, what would a woman want with a half a man? Hey, I hope your other kid is in good shape. Okay. We're going to find out. Hey, it's all We're you going to find out. Good. Just bring it on, man. You know? It's like that. Talk, get him off the line. All right, man. For real? Get him off the line. Thank we finished the show. Um... We had a look at a couple of episodes of WWF Livewire, a phone-in studio show with Todd Pettengill sometimes, Doc Hedricks sometimes, Sonny, Vincent Mao's on one of the shows, a guy called Vic Venom who writes for the WWF magazine, Jim Cornette, uh, other various studio guests, with the idea that it's kind of meant to be a, a shoot thing where people can phone in and ask questions and they pull back the curtain a bit and Vincent Mann made references to stuff like, you know, there, there was a question about Jim Ross and Vince said, you know, basically said, you know, like Jim Ross said, we, we fired him with Bell's palsy. We didn't. He just suffered it right at the point his contract expired. He's like, well, Vince, like that might be the truth, but like, you know, it doesn't look good on you either. Um, you know, a, a lot of other things regarding that. Uh, Rory, what did you think? Yeah, this is really interesting. That um, of all the the three major companies, I would say up to, up to where we are now in October nineteen ninety six, uh, WWF are the ones which are the most pro protective of kayfabe. I know it's a very weird thing to say because Vince McMahon has said to state athletic commissions and even in courtrooms before, "Oh, it's all just oh, it's it's all just a work." He said, "So it's it's a hard circle to square." But on screen, um, that they they don't really tend to pull back the curtain. Yet now they've got this program, Livewire, which is, oof, from what I've seen of it, 85-90% ultra shoot. I mean, you've got Vince McMahon there in his role as owner of the company. He's not Vince McMahon, uh, goofy, babyface commentator who doesn't know the name of any of the moves. Uh, you've got people like uh, Jim Cornette. You know, why, why is Jim Cornette there? Isn't he just the manager who carries a tennis racket around? You know, why is somebody from WWF magazine there? You know, it's, so it's... I do what it, it, it was a great, a great watch, and um, uh, some very, very in interesting quotes there. Um, some of the, uh, some of the discussions have been interesting, such as the Jim Ross stuff, um, some of the uh, Farouk Ahmed stuff. My only uh, qualm, it's not a criticism, it's just a, it's just a point I'm putting forward that I'm still not absolutely certain who this show is aimed at because it goes out. <laughs> I'm right at saying it goes out on Saturday mornings. Yeah. Will. Your average torch observer, smart fan, be watch, watching on a Saturday morning, won't they? Won't, won't they still be in bed? Not that I'm stereotyping or anything, but um, is, isn't, Saturday, isn't Saturday morning when you put on your your, your wrap-up shows where you watch um, uh, your favourite uh, mid-upper card baby faces win two or three minute squashes? Um, it's this is a very interesting idea, and I like what I've seen of it taken in its own right in a vacuum, but. I just hope they don't end up pushing this too, too far and just going, 
shoots for the sake of shoots because as we said uh, uh, earlier on in uh, early on in this podcast when they allude to things on air they do it really really well but i don't want them to make it very very obvious and whacking us over the head but uh, an interesting concept for sure and uh, a brave one all right they don't know what the show is supposed to be no they don't because the october 5th episode was one of the best pieces of content, in my opinion, that I've seen WWF put out in a long time. It was it was very behind the curtain, very, you know, shooty, if you will. Vince McMahon, the owner, was on there. I feel like he had some 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 real comments about WCW. Vic Venom, you know, as annoying and, and Brooklyn as he is, came out and, and, and pulled back the curtain and called Doc Hendricks, Michael P.S. Hayes, because everybody hates Doc Hendricks, and most wrestling fans at least appreciate Michael P.S. Hayes for his contributions. Do you get and a feeling it, Doc Hendricks hates Doc Hendricks? I have a feeling Doc. I, I have a feeling. I have a feeling Michael P.S. Hayes had a really hard time defending Doc Hendricks as Doc Hendricks. We're getting so meta here; it's unbelievable. But yes, <laughs> absolutely. You know. Jim Ross, the Vince McMahon Jim Ross storyline should develop on this show. It shouldn't develop during an opening match on a pay-per-view between two guys that it's apparent they're at least trying to push to upper mid-card status. It should occur on a show like this, and it was fantastic. Vince McMahon was on there. I think this is the first time we've ever seen Vince McMahon, not as, you know, bumbling commentator Vince McMahon, but as... WWF chairman and and, and, and and showrunner Vince McMahon, and it was great. And then you get to October 12th, and you had Todd Pettengill and Sonny with Ahmed Johnson in the studio for 20 minutes. And, and my note was, this became a kayfabe clip show really quickly. So whatever happened in that week between October 5th, when they had a really interesting, really kind of revolutionary show... In October 12th with Todd Pettengill, and they spent the first 10 minutes recapping the Sid and Goldust match from Raw. I don't know what the show is, but it could be great. I don't think it's going to be. Yeah, I, I think what happened was the rating happened, um, and it just wasn't that I think the, in their own mind, and, and you know, as Rory kind of alludes to, the, the Saturday end slot is a death slot, particularly a show like this. Um, in their own minds, since man, the owner was meant to draw a lot of ratings and he didn't. And so I just wonder whether they just went, well, that didn't work. We'll just make it into something else. Um, one week? They give it one week. They should, uh, you know, let's stick with it. You know, let's, let's, let's get some momentum here. I don't I, know. I, you know, I, my main takeaway, as good as it was, and, and, and up until the, 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 the Raw on the 28th, I thought, cause there is a bit of it that airs on Raw, a bit with Ahmed Johnson and Farouk. Which is actually like really, really kind of a really, really strong segment mm-hmm. in that you've got Farouk defending him. You've got Farouk kind of on the attack and Armin having to kind of fend off these questions. And I'm like, well, this shit's way more compelling than Raw. Like way more compelling. Like, you know, why are you doing this on television? Um, but I kind of thought it didn't go far enough. Like it's this like pseudo shoot thing, but like we we can't really acknowledge that Diesel isn't Diesel and that Razor isn't Razor. We still got to give them credit for you know having a good try and all that kind of thing. Or that Farouk is Ron Simmons, all American football player from Florida State, former WCW heavyweight champion. I mean, you have a guy who held the competition's number one belt for crying out loud, and they they refuse to acknowledge that even. Yeah. Um. You know, and a lot of other different things where, yeah, yeah, like, 
I, I agree. I don't know who this is aimed at. I don't think they know who it's aimed at or what exactly they were trying to achieve with it. And we only watched a couple. We didn't watch the rest of the month. I only sent, sent the guys a couple of the shows just as a sample. It was an interesting idea, but I just think they got the rating in when Vince went in and went, oh, okay, there's just no interest in it. You know, it's a 1.0 like everything else is a 1.0 on a Saturday morning. We'll just phone it in. It just didn't quite click. Nice idea, not great. Execution was okay. The, the, the fish show at times was quite compelling. And, and we talk about, you know, it was an interesting show for a couple of notes. They had Bruce from Connecticut ring in on the first show. And Bruce from, Bruce from Connecticut actually being Paul from Philadelphia. Um, and that happened. You know, and that's uh, that along with a couple of elude, a couple of little lines on ECW is the basically on screen version of the ECW WF thing ain't over. But essentially, it seems to be they want to work together, but they haven't worked out how yet. So that's what all that was about. And then you get the weird thing. I think it's like the callers were, were real, but they weren't great. You know, like I, I think to an extent, you need to establish this show as something more stronger, more concentrated to get that kind of thing to work. And then you get the second show where someone calls in and asks Ahmed Johnson about racism, which felt really out of left field. A really, really odd question for someone like, if you've got one question to ask Ahmed Johnson, uh, anything, why would you ask him about racism in the WWF? And Ahmed Johnson gave this quite softball response. And the reason that whole thing came out as it was, because it turned out the guy that phoned in was a guy by the name of Kevin Dunn. And Ugh. that guy is the producer of the show. See, and didn't, got, Ahmed, didn't Ahmed say, I don't, I don't acknowledge racism anymore or something like that. Something like that. Hogwash, yeah. Something like that. Like that's the, that's the oddity. Like if it's going to be a shoot show, make it a shoot show, discuss story. Like you could if you wanted to, like if you want to make it live wire, have people phone in and comment on the booking. You could do that, yeah. but that's the thing. It, it didn't really work. I might, I might check it out again next month, see if it's changed at all. Yeah, but equally, like this is, we, we, we talk about, you know, WWF wanted to put like midnight at, on Saturday stuff on. This is the stuff to put on midnight on a Saturday. Exactly. You know, don't don't put it on at 11 a.m. in the morning. Like, you know, you get a a lot of kids phoning in, a lot lot of horny teenagers on the uh, computer trying to chat up Sonny. Like, you know, don't do that. But, you know, anyway. Anyway, interesting little watch, interesting little fun bit. As I say, I think by the end of the month I worked out, maybe it's not that significant, but I'd already sent it out, so I think we'll discuss it. Anyway. That gets us to the end of the show. I, I said before we went on air, this won't be that long, lads, and we're here, like, yeah, two hours, 20 minutes later. The usual, I, I shouldn't I shouldn't be surprised at the point. Anyway, just to briefly, first of all, uh, again, plug our patron uh, site. Four or five bucks a month, we're offering you early access to shows like this and others. Um, if you would like to say thank you for us to, you know, contributing to two or three hours to your, to your week or your month about the latest goings-on of the WWF, WCW, ECW, and UFC, uh, you can do that. Patreon.com forward slash wrestling 20 hour links are on the website and in the description to this show all donations greatly received you know if, if, if you don't want to that's absolutely fine we're not going to cut any content off from you other than the impending battle ball review that will happen at some point i think other than bring, that will you stop bringing that up well yeah i know don't set a goal that you don't want people to get to i suppose is, is, is a very very fair point i haven't had a good night's sleep since you first brought that up Anyway, anyway, that that's there. Patreon.com forward slash wrestling twenty RS. If we liven up your month for a few hours each month, if you'd like to say thank you, you can do that there. Anyway, speaking of saying thank you, thank you first of all to Roy McNamara. 
Pleasure as always. Uh, Rory, you can be found on Twitter. Can indeed. You can find me at RawrsDM, R-O-R-S-D-M. Excellent. And the debuting Eric Lansom. Eric, thank you very much. Thank you, Bob. This is just the best time I've had in a long time. It was a good show, yeah. As I say, I didn't think we were going to be that long, but I've been wrong far too many times that I shouldn't be surprised by that anymore. Uh, very good to have you on. Eric, uh, Eric, you can be found on Twitter. Yes, I'm at Modern Day Lawyer. Uh, if you like American sports and politics, that might be a good follow. Otherwise, stay away. Yeah, it's a good time of year for all that stuff at the moment. Very oh, good boy. time of year. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. <laughs> yeah. Let's just say I'm happy following this side of the Atlantic. Uh, <laughs> let's say that. Um, although we've got our own issues, but that's that's not for now. That's not for now. Oh, move um, on quickly. Let's move on very quickly. Um, but yes, uh, where are we? That's right. Uh, plugs and shit. That's right. Yeah, three volumes this month. Uh, volume one is WCW looking at Halloween Havoc. Volume three, we do two. Well, it, it's one ECW show, but we review two ECW shows within it. So you've got those two to look forward to as well. Um, and yeah, just more plugs now. I think I'm on Twitter at Bobby Bamba, uh, wrestling20rs.com. Everything's on there. Episodes, blogs. I did a blog. I did a couple of blogs this month. Uh, what did I do? What, speaking of which, what if Bret Hart joined WCW in October 1996? That is a blog on the website right now. I, I explore the flip side of what we discussed earlier, which was what happened if he didn't leave and basically came to the conclusion that Austin doesn't really go anywhere and, you know, that's a hell of a fucking fork in the road, that is. Um, and there's a few other things up there as well. It's these back episodes, uh, iTunes links. It's all there. Wrestling20RS.com. Everything's there. Facebook, Twitter. It's all on there. Uh, and that'll do that. Uh, I have been Bob Bamba. This has been the Volume 2, the October 1996 edition of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. And until next time, goodbye. <laughs>